Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, custom orders, hot melted plastic, made your way. Use code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Whether he's airdropping pillows across the Canadian border or demanding election integrity outside the state courthouses in Georgia, Mike Lindell's doing one thing and one thing only, demanding that you get the best night's sleep you've ever had. And by entering promo code STEAK at checkout, you can make all those MyPillow dreams a reality. My pillows, my slippers, Giza, Dream, everything. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. You can talk to a qualified pillow representative via the telephone at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at odyssey.com. After a week of uh, testing these babies out, I do have to say they are absolutely fantastic and the highest of quality. So whether you're gaming, potting, no diggity-ing? There you go. Find everything you need and more to take care of those ear needs at odyssey.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. Got a five-star rating. Here in the Tradesies, he's a licensed FFL. Most importantly, he's got ammo. Go check out the website. It's newly redesigned and easy to use at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Hit him up on Facebook Messenger via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast, Backs to the Blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. Off-duty, they're wearing all the gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on duty. They got a pretty fire IG as well. Yep. Find them at mediocremedic.com. And last but certainly not least, the uh, gold standard of tactical flair can be found at Dumpbox. Dumpbox.us. Home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. If you don't know, go ask Mark. You can find him on uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. 
There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our Telegram, and more. And on that note, for all our friends listening across social medias, Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now Truth Social, welcome. Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 110. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hello, hello. We've got a big show coming for you today. Jules Gray will be joining us. She's running in Colorado 8. In addition to her, we're going to have Bob Burns running in New Hampshire 2. In addition to them, we're going to have the New York Young Republicans Club President Gavin Wax, Tony Cowden, who's running in North Carolina 4, and one of the leaders of the MAGA Posse, Boris Epstein, will be joining us later as well. But first... Let's get to the news. All right. It was a busy news weekend. Uh, More Russia, Russia, Russia. Like we haven't been hearing enough of that for the last five or six years. Russia, Russia, Russia. Never ending. Always happening. Thanks, Joe Biden. But we'll get into that in just a sec. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? We've had some developments today. I know I saw the overall narrative. Uh, Russia acknowledged that two of the resistance-held provinces in Ukraine um, should be considered Russian property, I guess you could call it, and uh, any minor incursion or just the tippage from Putin would be... Just for a second, see how it feels. Oh, step bro. (laughs) Moving into that. (laughs) Um, I don't know, what do you think's going on with this? It's not really a wag the dog anymore. Now it seems like the radical progressive left and Joe Biden is going to use... Uh, this whole Russian narrative. To well, it's not- like it's like them making it such a big deal over here has almost prompted it to happen over there. It's like wishful thinking. Yeah, I mean that's why they've been pushing it so hard in the media. Now it's like here we are. I mean, I, I think I just saw right now that um, Biden imposed some sanctions on them on Boring. Putin. Don't do anything. All you could do is annex other countries, right? Right. Um, I think. Uh, they're going to use it as a the economy's been bad, the supply chain has been bad. You're paying more for everything because of Russia now. Oh, great! And it's been it's been like that for a really long time. That's the narrative I see them trying to start to spin. Uh, not going to work because you know a lot more people in this country are dialed into politics than they were, let's say, half a decade ago. It's going to work on the ones driving alone in their car with the mask on. Yeah, you know what? I I was at Walmart this morning, and uh, I actually stopped and let somebody go and get a parking spot in front of me. And when they passed the front of my car, I saw that they were wearing a mask in their car. And I was like, I shouldn't have done that. I should have literally cut them off and then hogged that parking spot. (laughs) But that's kind of where we're at. Uh, Texas Senator Ted Cruz weighed in over the weekend on Fox News Sunday, talking about how Russia is really excited to have Joe Biden sitting in the White House at the moment. If you look at what the Ukrainians want, they've been very explicit. They've said two things. They've said, number one, if you want to stop a Russian invasion, they've asked the United States explicitly, put sanctions on Nord Stream 2 right now today. Joe Biden could do that this morning. He refuses to do it. And they said, number two, provide lethal military aid. Give us the weapons to defend ourselves. And, and, you, you know, I finally, last month, I forced a vote in the United States Senate on sanctions on Nord Stream 2. Every single Democrat in the Senate had voted for my sanctions legislation twice previously. But the difference was last time you had a president with an R behind his name, now you got a president with a D behind his name. When we voted, I won a bipartisan majority, a big bipartisan majority, 55 to 44, 
-hmm. But the Democrats filibustered the bill. They demanded 60 votes, ironically, while at the same time they were calling the filibuster a, a Jim Crow racist relic from the past. How dare that you? That same day they were filibustering to protect Russia and Putin, and 44 Democrats gave in to political pressure from the Biden White House. They voted in favor of Russia against sanctions. And explicitly, the president of Poland, the prime minister of Poland, the president, uh, uh, the president of Ukraine, the prime minister of Ukraine, the, the president of the Ukrainian parliament all explicitly said, if you want to stop this invasion, sanction Nord Stream 2. Joe Biden came to Capitol Hill and personally lobbied Democratic senators to vote against Russian sanctions. That's why we're facing this invasion. I got to say, Bill. Yes. Joe Biden becoming president is the best thing that ever happened, tragically, for Vladimir Putin. What? Well, what do you guys think? That sounds completely legitimate. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really a shame to see where we're at with this stuff. And when, when you break down, like, the, uh, you know, the, the stats in the, in the Senate and the votes, he is correct. I went back and looked. It was overwhelmingly and uh, bipartisanly during Donald Trump's presidency both times. And Donald Trump at the time would use his great standing relationship with Vladimir Putin to not have to sanction them because he assured them that nothing like what's going on now was going to happen. And it didn't. And it seems now that we have the weak, empty suit in the White House that I don't think Joe Biden went up on Capitol Hill and lobbied anything. That's the only fact check that I'm going to say is false yeah. from Ted Cruz's statement there. He had his handlers go and do it. And, and probably with a lot of help from Nancy Pelosi in the lower floor. but uh. Yeah, with uh, Biden getting into office for Russia and Ukraine and all that stuff, it's like, man, they're like, well, who do we have the most dirt on? Like, who financially benefited from, who's got crazy videos on some weird laptop? Like, mm. oh, that's, that's going to be useful later on. Perfect. Shout out to our friends in the New York Post. Yeah. Well, former Ukrainian ambassador... Um, William Tower was on some of the cable news shows this weekend and he was kind of laying it out there saying that, you know, Ukraine's got the gun to its head from the Russians and there's a lot of stuff historically that's not getting reported in the news. There's a lot of, I guess you would call them ethnic Russians who live in Ukraine because it was part of the former Soviet Union and they've only had their independence since the early 90s. Um, you know, family members that haven't seen each other, there's resistance portions of the country. I'm not saying it's okay for, for Vladimir Putin to go in and invade, but I think we've turned this into a, everybody's saying it's like oh, potential world war three in Europe, but you're world war three in Europe. And there's all those spicy memes like the, uh, no, you'll probably know this cause you've done the rounds over there. What are those German dancers with the little Peter Pan hats and the short shorts? What are they called? They come out at Oktoberfest. Oh shit. I forget. Yeah, well, there was a there's a gif going around of like them all doing the dancing. I think it's actually cut from the National Lampoon's movie, and it's like Germany when they find out that World War Three is not going to be blamed on them. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, but that's kind of where we're at. He he lays out some of the other you know geopolitical factors that go into this over the weekend. Let's kind of hear his take on it. I into the Ukrainian government, Zelensky. This is one fired up leader of his country, frustrated. Mm -hmm. And he seems to be as frustrated with the West as he is with anybody right now. No, Chuck. He's clearly frustrated with Putin. Um, he's got allies. 
He was there addressing those allies uh, in Munich yesterday, exactly what you say. He's got complaints about more support, you know, he would like to have. But the real villain of the case, let's be clear, um, is sitting in the Kremlin. Mm. Sir, any, when you hear about this, anything to do to stop war, is there anything reasonable to discuss between Ukraine and Russia at this point? Probably not between Ukraine and Russia. There's reasonable dis- discussions to be had between Russia and the United States. The Russians are after things that Ukraine can't really deliver. The Russians are after a rollback. The Russians don't want uh, NATO to accept... uh, Ukraine's just a pawn, right? Ukraine has a gun to its head while the Russians are negotiating with the Americans and NATO and others. And and so, yes, they are are a pawn in this. I don't think that Ukraine should be a... uh a NATO country anyway, is Antoinette. What do you think? You know, you, you, you know yeah. a lot about Eastern European politics. They're, not only are they one of the most corrupt nations over there, there's, they're just like, you know, the black market 2.0 as well and, yeah. and have an extensive and, uh, you know, deep woven mafia presence throughout that whole country and government. Yeah, no, for sure. And I just think that I understand why Putin doesn't want them going with NATO either, you know, because NATO is as corrupt as it can get as well. So, I mean, yeah, I don't agree with them being with NATO. No, I don't think there's any benefits to it. Um, yeah, there's also a... not benefits listening to anything that Tony Blinken has to say, but unfortunately, we, we're, yeah, we're <laughs> going to play a couple from him. Uh, you know, one was one was a good one, and one was a kind of a spicy one. Let's get the uh, let's hear him just talk first. There's al- there's there's always a chance, but every indication that we've seen, every move that he's made that has followed the, uh, the play that we laid out for the world to see uh, in front of the United Nations Security Council. He is following the script almost to the letter. So uh, I think uh, while there's always a chance, um, everything we're seeing uh, suggests that this is dead serious, that we are on the brink of an invasion. We will do everything we can to try to prevent it before it happens. But equally, uh, we're prepared if, uh, if he does follow through uh, to impose massive consequences, to defend, uh, to, pr- to provide for uh, Ukraine's uh, ongoing defense, and uh, to bolster NATO. Very boring. He has a very punchable face. I mean, I showed you my phone and, and did some air punches. I almost punched your phone. Definitely want to give him a wedgie and take his lunch money. Yeah, like atomic wedgie over the head. We just heard him speak for 48 seconds, and he made... No, no, no points? Nothing. The best point that was probably made, I think, was asked by... Uh, Chuck Todd over the weekend. I'm not going to even lead in, but I think you'll be laughing by the end of this one. Check this one out. This one. Why do you think he didn't act then? <laughs> I hope you get a chance to ask him. Um, but uh, so, uh, why didn't Vladimir Putin do any of this stuff when Donald Trump was president? I wonder. <laughs> well, we weren't very weak then. Peace through strength. Peace through superior firepower. Yeah, that too. Now, peace through gender studies. <laughs> the look on Antoinette's face. <laughs> we got a full on nose crinkle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where, for as, as chat as they acted together when, when they were on the international scene, Donald Trump and, and Vladimir Putin at least had a philosophical understanding of what was going to be okay to pass. And I think when you saw and well, when they were together, it was, it was almost like Putin knew that who was in control 
and they were both just trying to act like they were the the Chad of the group. Yeah, true. I th- I think uh, you know when Vladimir Putin really sat down at the end of the day during the course of the Trump presidency and saw the overwhelming sanctions that Donald Trump had no problem laying on everybody, including China, mm-hmm. and uh, to the point, you know, all those countries where automobiles are made and the, and the taxes and tariffs that they were playing paying moving in and then becoming an energy independent nation at the time we weren't playing around. There was going to be things that over the course of his time as the, as the head of of Russia, Putin wasn't even going to be able to wave over the United States, like gas prices and things like that. It just wasn't going to fly. So I I think those are some of the things that we're definitely lacking now. And uh, we're just tripping over ourselves trying to, you know, hold this whole thing together. It's like what happens when you're taking on water and on fire? <laughs> Bail out the fire water? There's a, there's a, did you see the cargo ship that's like floating somewhere? It's like got all these ridiculous uh, high end cars on it and it's on fire. That's like a perfect <laughs> analogy awkward. of the Biden administration right now. Um, Ukraine, uh, I'm sorry, Russia's ambassador to the US, Anatoly Antonov. Did some of the cable news shows. I caught him on Face the Nation on Sunday, and uh, he was talking about some of the real logistics of it. Let's kind of hear him weigh in and, and see what the Russian perspective is on this whole thing. Get right to it. President Biden says that President Putin has decided to invade Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Is he correct? There is no innovation, <laughs> and there is no such plans. It was fixed in Russian documents that we conveyed to our American friends in the State Department. Russia has publicly decided, uh, declared its uh, readiness to continue the diplomatic efforts to resolve all outstanding issues. Russian troops are on a sovereign Russian uh, territory. We don't threaten Ukraine, end quote. Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. Like I said, some of those disputed separatist portions of Ukraine have had Russian transport vehicles and troops, some tanks roll into them. But I don't really think they were ever really a part of the established Ukraine nation or definitely not the government Mm -hmm. for the last, you know, certain amount of time. Never fear. Worst vice president in the history of all of them. And there's been some awful ones. Vice President Kaklia? Definitely. Was uh, in Germany doing a little... Cackling? Not necessarily, but it was... You know, someone took this clip and spiced it up and said, you know she wanted to do it so bad. Oh, and yeah. It, it plays the clip that I'm going to play, and at the end it's got like a little montage of her cackles. Nice. Let's hear her try to talk through a mask like a complete fucking moron about something she knows nothing about. We're talking about the potential for war in Europe. Mm. I mean, let's really take a moment to understand the significance of what we're talking about. Why is she wearing a mask? Two of them. They always take them off to talk. And through those 70 years, as I mentioned yesterday, there has been peace and security. Mm. We are talking about the real possibility of war in Europe. So our position is for us very clear, which is as a leader, which we have been bringing together the allies, working together around our collective and unified position, that we would 
all, not just prefer, we desire, we believe. It is in the best interest of all that there is a diplomatic end to this moment. She, she literally said nothing. She did the, if not when, now, if not now, how. I mean, you remember that one we had? Oh, no, yeah. The time is now, right? just then. It always has been. Right now. And even though now has just passed, we're, we're currently in the present, which is also now. Wait, that's, <laughs> that's the space ball clip that we played. We're still nowing. <laughs> I'm surrounded by assholes. Just then. Now. So you got the cackle clip too? So, no. I didn't want to. <laughs> we don't have to bless our ears with that one. And I'm sure our listenership is really appreciative. You can of imagine because I'm sure it's just indelibly fucking marked into your brain her, listening to her cackle. Yeah, doing doing the research that that is the audio clips for the show. I mean, you get some funny ones. We play some funny ones every yeah. once in a while, but you know, for the most part, I have to listen to these complete morons fucking talk about stuff that they're just not qualified to talk about. Speaking of which, um, let's circle back. Twenty nineteen, life was good. Yeah, border wall was being constructed. Uh huh. Paying about two fifty at the gas pump out here in Southern California. In California, that's cheap as shit. Yeah, I could I can go and spend about two hundred bucks at the grocery store and feed my family for about a week. How much did you spend today for a week? Three forty. Yeesh. Yeah, I didn't buy anything special. Uh, I, I we did have some hygiene products and paper products that go into that, but yes, prices are doubled. Um, are people hoarding toilet paper again yet? I don't know, Antoinette. What do you see over there in uh, Vegas? You see any toilet paper hoarding? No, actually, it's. It's not like, I mean, I've seen, you know, online and other people talking about in different states how, like, I mean, did you guys see that video or the clip of this dude showing how steak at Walmart was literally like. Locked? Yeah, it's in the electronic uh, spider yeah. web bag, so you need to get it. Yeah, we don't. Unlocked we don't the Seriously? Yeah. No. The, yes. The worst thing I would say is sometimes water. People are been, have been hoarding water. Yeah, I, I got half a semi worth of water in my garage. I mean, yeah, it's, at the end of the day, it's the one thing we need. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's not bad here at all. I mean, you go to Costco, they've got everything. They're fully stocked. Yeah. I mean, like once in a while, you'll see um, a little bit, you know. Co them. Costco's good. Walmart's not good. I'm uh, just seeing like yeah. a steak, a steak with the little like at the at the store when you buy clothes and it's got the little plastic alarm thing on it like just clipped through the steak oh <laughs> yeah they're not there yet yeah, it's like in a little like mesh cage mm -hmm. like wire with like a lock on it that's I saw. ridiculous yeah. that's I real so i wouldn't buy steak at walmart anyway so <laughs> yeah, yeah it's true true story well like i said let's take it back to to 2019 scranton joe live Ooh. from the basement scranton talking about how what's going on fucking today was never going to happen if he became president. None of his things that he said have aged well. The news. Once again, Putin and the Russians are trying to engage in our elections and decide who the president's going to be. Oh, God. And this time I'm the object there of their attention. Hmm? Because Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. Hmm. I'm going to stand up to him. He's a bully. Just like the president. Oh. And I know he doesn't want me to be president, but to tell you what, when I'm president, things are going to change. Mr. Putin, the American people decide their elections, not you. Chip in a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. Hey, did, did maybe he can. Five dollars? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Uh, that is just like. Of all the things that didn't age well and are were completely bullshit, he doesn't want you to be president? No. He certainly he wanted fucking, to. He fucking, like, he's probably donating money to the DNC. 
Let's mm-hmm. let's jump into the DeLorean and take it today. Why why does this receipt say Daddy Putin on it? There you go. What laptops? <laughs> when Joe Byron was talking about, guess what? Things are bad. Imagine that they're going to get worse. Yeah, good times. Defending freedom will have cost mm. for us as well, and here at home, we need to be honest about that. But as we will do, but as we do this, there we go, huh? I'm going to take robust action to make sure the pain of our sanctions is targeted at the Russian economy, not ours. So you see that whole narrative I was telling you about that they're trying to spin. What sanctions? Whatever sanctions, Antoinette. What sanctions did they throw on it? Wasn't was it on the Nord Stream or, or no? Uh, let me see. I, I just had it pulled up. I didn't get to read it fully. Uh, it said he would sanction that the U.S. would sanction Russian sovereign debt and Russian elites, as well as their family members, in response to Russia's deployment of troops to regions in eastern Ukraine, describing the developments as the start of an invasion. So there you go. If yeah. The- he also said he would. Sorry, he would fi- uh, sanction financial institutions, state development corporation (VEB), and Russia's military bank. They don't sanction the gas pipes and the oil pipelines and, and the natural energy that they've got going on over there. Yeah, because we're buying it from them. All they're going to do is raise the prices and fuck us more. Yep. So th- there's your solution. Or good thing we shut down ours. That was that was a good that was a good move. <sighs> it, it, what's going on in the uh, whole Eastern Europe right now? Kind of uh, dominated the news cycle throughout the weekend. It was hard to find anything else. We've we've got a great segment later in the show, but before we get to that, we've got three. Amazing guests coming up. Jules Gray, who's looking to represent Colorado Waits, about to join us now. And then we're going to have Forrest Epstein of the uh, War Room Posse. He'll be jumping in. And then we're going to have uh, the guy who's looking to represent New Hampshire, too, in the uh, upcoming midterm elections, Bob Burns. So as Jules is getting ready to join us, let's uh, key up her audio. All right. Joining us first on the show today, she's the conservative candidate for Colorado's newest congressional district. Her first time on Steak for Breakfast, Jules Gray. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning, everyone. It's our pleasure to host you. How's everything going with you? Oh, it's good. It's busy. I can only imagine. So um, Colorado's newest congressional district, uh, congrats on getting one added. And, uh, you know, it's it's good to see a a strong conservative in there that's running to uh, represent us in the House. What was the uh, motivating factors for you to uh, jump in this race? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so... California lost a district or lost a congressional seat and we get we picked it up. So we definitely want that to go conservative. Um, So for me, it started after the election, after January 6th. And then I had an interaction with my state senator who publicly supported the impeachment of Trump. And I called him out on it because I believe in accountability. And he um, responded with, I know I want to be dictator when I see one. And I said, really? Well, then I'm coming for your seat is what I told myself. But he just got reelected to a four year term. So I started looking for other things that I could run with. And uh, Congress came up and I was in at the time District six, which is Jason Crow's district, who I call Nancy Pelosi's lapdog. We hear that um, a lot. We hear that a lot on this show. <laughs> but you know, with redistricting and where I live, I ended up being in the new district all through the whole process. I was always an eight, and I think I have a better chance of winning that anyway. Um, with the redistricting lines being redone, the the balance between Democratic and Republican is a lot more fair than it was last time. The lines were redrawn in Colorado. There was a lot of gerrymandering done last time, so. 
um, I, I lucked out. I'm in the new district, which I'm very happy about. And it's a lot, it's a mix of a lot of small businesses, a lot of the northern suburbs of Denver, and then it goes up into Weld County, which is a lot of agriculture and oil and gas. So those are things that I know all, all kinds of stuff about. Maybe not as much as oil and gas, um, but I grew up in a northern conservative California in a very rural community. And so that speaks to my heart and my past. Um, but I was seeing how my kids were being affected in school with all of this Marxist indoctrination and critical race theory, and it just wasn't okay with me. So as a mama bear, that just let a fire into my butt, and I've been laser focused on running for Congress ever since. Yeah, it's, it's, uh seems to be a reoccurring theme with a lot of these candidates who, you know, weren't into uh, too much of the political spectrum before, you know, this whole Save America and America First movement kind of took off. Um, how's the uh, response been from people in and around your district to uh, you rolling the campaign out there? It's been great. Um, you know, I do a lot of gun shows because I'm, I'm very pro Second Amendment and I'm a concealed carry holder myself. My boyfriend of eight years is an FFL. And so it's been great. I love it. And and the people there and, and really everywhere that I meet, I meet, you know, a lot of parent groups and business groups and that sort of thing. And everyone is sick and tired of these do nothing politicians. They're tired of people going from office to office, not representing the people. And they want fresh blood. They want new faces, new ideas. And they don't want someone who's been stuck in the political bubble for for decades, which who that's who all of my opponents are. So that's how I'm helping myself stand out is that I'm the only one who's not a current politician. I'm a small business owner and I'm representing the people who are just like me. Yeah, that's, that's really refreshing to hear. I like the fact that you, uh, you know, had mentioned the, the economy, which I'm sure is really important to the blue collar men and workers of uh, your district and all the people of Colorado, in addition to things like critical race theory and the Second Amendment as two things that are going to be, uh, you know, on your campaign platform. I want to touch on, uh, you know, something that's that's pretty much uh, a topic that comes up every time we've got guests on. It's the southern border. What's your take on what's going on down there? And, and what are some of the things you're proposing to kind of uh, help secure it, support the uh you know, law enforcement that's working down there and then uh, get this immigration system under control right now. Oh, my gosh. Well, it is a mess, as we all know. And my biggest thing lately is the drugs that are coming through that border in Colorado alone, actually in Denver alone, the fentanyl overdoses has gone from about 52 in 2019 to over 200 already in 2021. So first and foremost, our laws need to be enforced. I don't think we need a whole bunch of new laws with immigration. There are paths for people to come here legally. And some of the most amazing American loving people that I've ever met are people who emigrated here the legal route. Mm -hmm. And so to hear what they see happening in our country is just unbelievable because there's so many people that were born and raised here who have such disdain for our freedom and our constitution and our way of life that they really are so uninformed with what else is out there. And, and so like I said, I don't think we need a lot of new laws. We just need the ones in place to be enforced. Yeah, that's uh seems to be a pretty. Um, I feel like I've said that before. Yeah, it's pretty simple. <laughs> the laws are already pre-existing. If we just enforce, well, let's just say some of them, since we're doing none now. Let's do ten percent. Yeah, we right. we might have let in just a little bit less people than we already have so far. Um, let's talk about your uh, 
your opponents right now, uh, w- whether or not you have anybody running against you in the primary, and then uh, obviously you already mentioned your uh, Democratic counterpart. Let's let's let our listening audience hear some of the uh, differences between you all. Yeah, well, so there's five of us Republicans running, and so it will definitely be a primary. And like I said, of all of us running, I'm the only one who is not a current politician. Hmm. Sometimes that's what you need. Yeah, you bring that small. Exactly business. what we need. Yeah, you, you bring in that uh, small business owner element into, uh, you know, something you could really identify with a lot of the people who in, in your district who are uh, probably hurting a little bit in the pocketbook right now, say the least. Absolutely. I'm a small business owner myself. I've been in business for 16 years. I'm in the wedding and events industry. And our industry was all but decimated with COVID and the restrictions and the Colorado Gestapo that was, you know, putting things in place. And so I'm one of the lucky ones that made it through, but uh, so many were not so lucky. And so I think we need more business owners in Congress and less politicians, people who understand what it's like when you can't make payroll or that you're getting taxed to death and understand budgets. We cannot afford the un believable amount of wasteful spending that's going on right now in our government. It's almost as if they're just creating money out of thin air. Well, Americans can't afford it and we're getting taxed to death. So I say enough is enough. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, we, we have seen some uh, things, you know, crime has spiked in a lot of the major cities across the country. I know you talked about being a huge advocate of the second amendment, it seems like instead of blaming the uh, district attorneys, the defund the police movement and the you know, local judicial systems that's failing a lot of these big cities and, and letting out all of these you know, violent felons back into the communities who are just committing crimes. And usually when they commit another one, it's, it's a lot worse than the first. Um, we don't really see the correlation between the Second Amendment and the increase in, in violence across the country. What do you think is the, you know, the play here to try and wrap their tentacles around, you know, all of our guns and uh, use it as an excuse to make our city safer? Right. Well, we're already seeing what's happening in Australia with that, right? They took away guns and now the people have no recourse. The government can do whatever they want. They can control us. And I don't think Americans are going to stand for that. Thank God we have the Second Amendment and the Constitution that we are able to protect ourselves and our communities and our families. And and with every gun control legislation that comes across, it just picks away and chips away at that, at that right. And so... Um, yeah, it, you know, the people that want to get rid of guns altogether, they, first of all, they don't know much about them, if anything. And secondly, they, they have this blase, utopian um, <laughs> fantasy of what America should be or what the world should be. And it's just completely unrealistic because when you take the guns away from law abiding Americans and citizens, then that just leaves it us open and vulnerable to the criminals who will get them illegally and in any means possible. Yeah. It's not like uh, a lot of the crimes that are being committed across the country are being done with legally and, and lawfully purchased firearms by any no, bad people are going to do bad things, whether they have a gun or not. I saw- uh, you can see it in London with knives. Yep. You see it with people using vehicles running through parades and mowing down women and children and families. It's ridiculous. They're going to do bad things. It's an unfortunate thing of society, you know, but that's why I believe in mental health, mental health support and programs and more funding towards that. Yeah, that's really good to uh, hear you be an advocate of that as well. Jules, we, we do have, you know, it's probably the largest national topic, which is an international one as well right now. It's what's going on between, 
you know, Russia and Ukraine and, and the United States involvement in that. Um, what's your take on the whole thing and how can you weigh in on probably what you think would be a better, at least diplomatic solution to what's going on right now? That is such an excellent question. And it is such a volatile situation and, you know, things are changing day by day. And I, my first question is if we were to get involved, how does that benefit or hurt Americans as an American first candidate? That always has to be the first question that we ask. And so, you know, again, things change day by day. Diplomatically, I think that unfortunately our current administration doesn't have the um, diplomatic spine to be able to lead through peace through strength. And so unfortunately, I think it's not going to benefit us or be a positive thing. And, you know, they're already sending troops over there and it, it's, it's a scary situation for everyone involved, of course. So we'll see how it plays out. I'm actually attending CPAC this week. So I'm definitely going to be keeping my ears to the ground as far as what people are thinking and what a good approach would be. Well, nice. Congratulations. You'll have some fun there over at CPAC. Those are always a good I'm time. Excited. You got a, uh, yeah. I think when you talk about that whole piece through strength, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've all seen at least the picture of it from the, well, they call it the, the situation room over at the white house f- from over the weekend. And you had, you know, Millie and Austin and Biden and everybody else who's connected in there. And they're all wearing like two masks in a room. Not only that, but they all had huge uh, name identifiers in front of them. I'm assuming it's because, uh, you know, Joe Biden might have a hard time with the the thing. Um, remembering names, <laughs> but it's uh listen here, Jack. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's kind of a scary situation right now. It's uh that video has been recirculating all weekend of Joe Biden back in 2019 saying like, Putin doesn't want him to be president because he's scared of him and he's really going to roll up his sleeves and take care of him when he's in the white house. And then you see what's going on right now. And it's like 2014 all over again. Take, take care of him. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our enemies have been chomping at the bit. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Jules, are you reaching out to any other of your uh, of the other House candidates, either in Colorado or across the country, to kind of form some, you know, get that uh, America First narrative going on right now? That's that seems to be uh, helping out a lot of these candidates and, and running on that whole Save America platform. Absolutely. So I actually just got accepted to the America First Pact (PACT), which is a group of congressional candidates who are kind of. It's kind of like an America first pre-caucus to Congress where we're standing together and we're all running on that platform to support each other. So that's extremely exciting. Um, I have obviously talked to Lauren Boebert here in Colorado and I mentioned to her the first time I met her that I'm coming to help her. So she's given me a few little nuggets of advice, but I don't know that she's going to be officially endorsing anyone. Um, But I definitely know that our friends in Washington need help. And so I'm going to help them. Yeah, she, she, she's, really awesome. And it's glad to say that you mentioned her because, you know, I see a lot of parallels here in the way you talk and some of the things you advocate for is, uh, you know, when you say you're going to be bringing help to Washington DC, I could see a direct reflection of that. And some of the things you've mentioned throughout, uh, you know, the course of getting to know you here today, Jules, we, we want to be able to direct our listening audience to find you and more importantly, support you in your campaign, whether it's sharing social medias or, or donating funds. And then of course, uh, you know, getting the word out there. Why don't you tell us where we could find either your website, your social medias, both, whatever you want to put out for us. Of course. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm on all social media platforms. I'm on the waiting list for truth, but you know, I'm (laughs) probably like almost 400,000 on the waiting list. So 
Um, but I'm definitely there. And my website is Jewels for Colorado and it's J-E-W-E-L-S-F-O-R Colorado.com. I could use all the support. Uh, again, I'm not a current politician, so I don't have those donor networks set up like my opponents and I need every little bit. Even a like on Facebook helps algorithms. And so um, you can go to that website and donate every, like I said, every dollar helps. So grassroots. Nice. Yeah. Very much so, and and we'd love to invite you back, especially after the primary, get you out there and be the uh, you know the re- Republican challenger in the district, and uh, really help your campaign get going. So this is the lady who's looking to represent Colorado's newest district, number eight, in the twenty twenty midterms. Jules Gray, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Take it easy. All right, joining us next today, he's a uh, the former 2020 strategic advisor and special assistant to Donald Trump. He's also a contributor at Newsweek, a columnist there, and he's the man behind uh, BorisDepstein.com. Kind of spoiled it for everybody. It's Boris Stepstein. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Guys, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going on your end? It's going great. It's going great. It's a wonderful day. could imagine you've been uh, a little bit busy with all the stuff you're working on. Yeah, it's it's always busy, but you know, Rolling Stone gathers no moss, so that's a good thing. <laughs> there you go. Let's jump right into it. Then you got the uh, some of the election integrity items you've been uh, showcasing. We've saw recently on on Steve Bannon's show. I wanted to tell our listenership a little bit about uh, what you've been working on with some of those. No doubt about it. You know, we're working on this issue all across the country, and and we're winning all across the country. So in Arizona, Mark Fincham and several other patriots in the House and the Senate put forward a resolution to reclaim the electors, and we're pushing as hard as we can to make sure that doesn't get on the floor in the House of Representatives here in Arizona and the ghost of the Senate. You've had some rhinos, sadly, like the Speaker of the House here, Rusty Bowers, standing in the way of that, but we're continuing to pass, pass on and press on and not take a step back. So we're pressing very, very hard on that. Uh, and then in Georgia, there's some legal action that's being taken literally as, you know, as we speak over these next couple of days. So very exciting there. And that's in the, in the move and in, in the move and the push to unseal 140,000 uh, mail-in ballots there in, in Georgia, Pennsylvania, there's a full on firefight regarding doing a full forensic investigation full forensic audit uh, in the state of in, in the state of in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and that's between Jay Corbin the Republican and and then you got Josh Shapiro the Democrat Attorney General on the other side and then Wisconsin is a big time state for this just a very 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 important state uh, and you have judge judge Gableman doing his investigation there you expect a, a expect some sort of report a testimony to come out beginning of March and then also there Tim Ramthan the uh, the member of the legislature has put forward a, a resolution to decertify. So another one that has to be backed by the, the whole MAGA movement, something that, as we say, the war room policy, but, you know, also your your listenership, your your group, your team have to get behind. So that's where we are across the country on, on, the, on the drive to get to the bottom of 2020 because we cannot go forward. We cannot progress until and unless we get to the bottom of 2020. Yeah, that's a, those are some excellent points there, and we've we've hosted a lot of those names that you had mentioned, the Mark Finchams, Doug Mastrianos, Carrie Lakes of the world, even Heather Mullins from uh, Real America's Voice. She's done a lot of great work down in Georgia. Uh, Christina Bob, especially from OAN, she worked on some of the original lawsuits and then has you know covered it extensively as a as a journalist. And uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that our listenership really wants to know: what do you think moving forward? Let's just say we do get some dispositions here, even if we have to wait 
past the midterm elections and we start to see some of these states, the Wisconsin's, the Pennsylvania's, the Arizona's and Georgia's decertify their electors, would this just be like the icing on the cake of a non-legitimate president? And then besides winning the House and Senate and letting him conduct, you know, his business by executive order only just kind of make him illegitimate? Or do you see this as some kind of a narrow pathway to maybe even, you know, removing him from the White House? Well, there's no doubt that the American people absolutely view Joe Biden as illegitimate. That, that is absolutely set, and there's absolutely no doubt about that. You look at it at the numbers. I mean, this guy's got, you know, strong. His strongly approved is in the is in the you know is in the teens, 18, 19 percent. Absolutely unheard of. With strongly disapproved at 46, and this is mainstream left of center polls that are that are showing that. In terms of what happens next, it's impossible to tell because it's actually never happened before. Right. So we've got to get we've got to get to the point of decertification. And at that point, I believe it's going to go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court will decide what to do. But if you get to, you know, if you decertify Georgia with its 16 electoral votes, uh, Arizona with, I believe, 11, Wisconsin with 10, Pennsylvania with 20, and then Joe Biden gets to under that 270 number, there's really no telling what's going to happen next. And some say, well, there's never a path to cure this wrong, well, you can't say never because it's it's not outlawed in the Constitution. It's not prohibited in the Constitution. The Constitution is a negative rights document, meaning if something's not prohibited, it's allowed, and the Supreme Court's never ruled on it. So, you know, that's that's how I, I, I viewed it for really consistently for the last year, and I believe that our job is to get all the fraud out there, to make sure it's public, to make sure it's well, uh, you know, it's well publicized, to get it in the hands of everyone who has to have it. And then from there, to push the decertify, to reclaim the electors and to make the decision from that point on and, and, and to take the next action, which I, I assume will be uh, in the courts. Yeah, it's going to be uh, amazing to just even think about seeing. Down exactly. The and, and, and it's not too far outside the realms of possibilities when you talk about a lot of these America First candidates who are running for, you know, attorney general, secretaries of states and, and governors before we even get into the House and Senate races right now that are, you know, they're using it as like the centerpieces of their campaign platform. So it's not like they're just going to go through the elections and then not do it or forget about it. Well, that's right. The, the MAGA, the truly MAGA candidates, America First candidates are, are very strong on the fact that you cannot. You cannot move forward without getting to the bottom of who truly won 2020. And I believe President Trump won in 2020, as your flag there says. I believe that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president, that he did not win the election. And if you again, if you look at the numbers, there's no way a, a, a candidate who gets 81 million votes, as we're told Biden received, is a 19 percent strongly approved just a year later. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't. It, that's mathematically impossible. So there's the good, strong candidates, you know, and I'm backing some of these folks like Blake Masters yep. in Arizona, Eric Greitens in, in Missouri and others across the country are candidates who understand what the importance of the three November 2020 movement is. And they're not backing off of it, which is exactly where we need to be. No, I completely agree with you there. How accurate do you think that those actual approval ratings are? Because we've <laughs> always said that if it actually says 19 percent and that sounds bad, then it must be just horrendously worse because they always try to polish the turd a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. What's interesting, though, is that it's getting so bad that they actually can't polish the turd too much. And you're seeing the, the you know, say, YouGov Economist poll or an Ipsos Reuters poll line up with the Rasmussen poll, with the Trafalgar poll, which have been traditionally correct polls that are viewed as much, as much more fair 
to center-right and MAGA candidates. So the numbers were actually lining up. That's just, and, and they're all lining up in those teens mm -hmm. of real approval for Joe Biden. You like look at right track, wrong track in the polling, all of that lines up. So what does that tell you? That tells you that Joe Biden's presidency, his administration is absolutely done. He has no political capital left, and you're seeing it all across the board. Yep. Boris, are you are you su as surprised uh, as we are to see the legacy media, you know, get in the lifeboats and get as far away from this Titanic known as Joe Biden as fast as they did? <laughs> I still think that they're not as far away from it as they should be. Actually, I think that they they need to uh, they should be much more uh, open, much more fair in covering Joe Biden. I still think they're not covering Hunter Biden enough. Right? They covered it up in the 2020 election, and they haven't gotten to the bottom of of, of truly. The, and listen, the personal stuff is the personal stuff, and it is bad, full stop. But the corruption on China, on Ukraine, from Hunter Biden and how Joe Biden was involved absolutely needs to be investigated, and the mainstream media has got to get on top of that. And will they? You know, who knows, and how can we have any confidence? In terms of the, what they're doing currently, the mainstream media is still, they're still treating Biden with some kid gloves and, and trying to prop him up. But they're failing, and that's what we're seeing in the numbers across the country. No, I agree with it. And let's jump into some of those numbers right now in regards to the House and Senate races. Uh, you already mentioned some of the Senate candidates, so we'll talk about that. We've, we've, we've all shared time with, uh, you know, the Masters and the Greitens, Adam Lexall, some really strong ones in this year's election. I was crunching numbers for about the last week, and I think our safe number right now is 52 but we'd all like to see it a lot higher. There are some states that I do have some concerns about. Let's just say, like, Pennsylvania, for instance. We really don't have, like, the top-tier America First candidate there. Uh, there's really good, you know, Carla Sands, former ambassador, someone who's great friends with Donald Trump is, you know, but then Dr. Oz jumps in that race, and you've got a couple other ones. What, what is your forecast right now on the Senate when you look it down and really start to break down those numbers? Well, it's 50-50. Let's assume that we're going to keep our seats, right? Because I think we've got so many MAGA candidates, that they're going to do a good job. And then let's go through the seats where we could pick up. Georgia, Herschel Walker's got to be able to beat Warnock. He has to be able to do it. Uh, you know, needs some strength there still in that campaign, but it's Herschel Walker. He's an absolute star and an absolute legend in Georgia. In Arizona, where I am currently, I you know, I'm backing Blake Masters. I'm a believer in Blake, and I think Blake will can and will take on and defeat Mark Kelly here in Arizona. So you're, you're already at 52. From there, you've got to look at Nevada, right? You've got to look at Laxalt. Laxalt's so strong. The current, you know, the, 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 sitting, uh, the sitting Democrat, very weak. And I don't think that, you know, really brings anything, uh, anything to the table. Uh, Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire could be weak. And she's somebody who, who you know, could be defeated. But again, with the right candidates. So right there, you know, we're, we're at four pickups. You're right. Pennsylvania is a worry, but in a, in a MAGO year in a red wave year, I think we should be fine, but it is vital to pick the right. And again, a fully MAGA candidate right there in Pennsylvania. So I think, could we end up at a 54, 46? Absolutely. And then you've got to think about what's, what's Manchin going to do long-term. Is he staying a Democrat or is he going to come over, come over to the good side sooner rather than later? And then you could be a 55, 45. And then, you know, there's others, right? Colorado with Bennett. Yep. He's got some challengers now. You go and spread out across the country and see where, you know, where else could you, could you have some pickups? Yeah. Mo Brooks is uh, looking to replace a Republican incumbent, but you know, the whole switch they did there, Casey Wardensky, former secretary of the army reserves going and running in Alabama five. And then you have Mo Brooks running, you know, for a Senate seat there. It's, it's, it, it's good. And then obviously Ohio, that's another big one. I, I really like Josh Mandel. I, I think president Trump does too, but uh, 
you know, they're doing everything they can to try and delegitimize his campaign right now. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hope that uh, he just keeps getting stronger and stronger every week, it looks like. You know, I'm, I, you know, I think Ohio's got a lot of good MAGA candidates. And, uh, and you know, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a, an interesting fight from here on out. We'll see what happens. But, you know, Josh obviously comes with some of his strength. I think Jane Timken comes with strength. She's she's been very strong as as GOP chair in Ohio. Yeah, has backed President Trump through and through. And yeah, JD Vance even you know I, I'm worried about his statements in the past, but yeah, you know, he's got you know you know he's now coming out hot. Here's what's interesting. And then you got Gibbons, and then Bernie Moreno dropped out. Yep. In Ohio, in Ohio, everybody but Dolan. And here's here's what matters the most, right? In Ohio, everybody but Dolan. At least now, look at their back statements, and and, and those differ. They're all coming in super hot as super MAGA, right? And you're seeing the same thing in Missouri, yeah. right? Where you know I'm back in Greitens, but everybody except for maybe you know Vicky Hartzler is is uh, let's be honest more on the McConnell team. Yep. Eric Schmidt's not, but all of them at least are trying to present themselves as MAGA. What does that tell you? That tells you the strength of MAGA, the strength of Donald uh, Donald Trump, and that that we have really taken over this party, taken over the movement, and the Republican Party now really is the MAGA party under the leadership of President Donald. J. Trump. Yeah, no, you, you're 100 percent right. And I'm glad you mentioned some of those other ones in Ohio. I had them written down here, but, uh, you know, you got them in there for me I, and I appreciate it. Let's talk about the House real quick. What are some of the uh, hottest and uh, most MAGA races you're looking at right now? Eli Crane in Arizona, you know, he's up against O'Halloran. O'Halloran's very weak, uh, and Eli's strong. I'm backing Eli uh, in that race. I think, you know, he's somebody who could, who, who will beat the Democrat, the sitting Democrat in, uh, in, in this race here. I, there's a great kid named Desi Kolar in, uh, in New York. He's, he's awesome. running in the AOC. He's awesome. In AOC's, yeah. in AOC's district. I'm a big fan of Desi's. So, you know, those are just, those, those are a couple of them. Carolina Serrano, uh, yeah, I think you may have, have had her or going to have her on on the podcast in the, in Nevada. You know, the beauty of it is we have such a diverse amount of candidates, a diverse background of candidates, and they're all running, and they're all, you know, and, and they're all running as MAGA again. And I think that's very, very encouraging and what we need to get to that 100 seats, 100 years. Yeah, 100% there, and I'll agree with you. I think, uh, yeah, we've had Desi on a couple times. He, he joined us with Andrew McCarthy about a week ago. We did a America First Roundtable New York edition. It was it was great. They they endorsed each other's candidacy, and, uh, you know, we're trying to get these guys who are running in either similar districts geographically to, to each other or, uh, you know, even nationally. We Joe Kent and Mike Collins decided to do some events after we had them on for a roundtable on our show. And we're just trying to do everything we can, which is the last thing I want to ask you. We're running short on time. We've already got early primary voting going on in Texas. Um, a lot of these candidates need more support. We had some good ones on last week. Uh, Michael Johns and, and, and uh, Matt Brainerd both gave our listenership some really important things to be doing between now and November. Why don't you dogpile on top of that and really let our listenership know what's the best ways, you know, someone who looks at the numbers like you, that, that our listenership can go out and, and help support these candidates. The best way is to have your voices be heard. That's what it's all about, you know? And yes, you, have to, you should support the candidates you love. You should support the candidates that you're all in for. But really, it's all about right now, have your voices be heard on social media. Get on all of them, get, you know? Get on, still be on Twitter. Get on Getter. Get on Instagram. Get on Truth Social, President, you know, you, you know the, the new uh, social media company. And be loud and be, and, and listen, do not be shy. Be strong. Tell the American people, take, tell everyone around you who you're backing and why you're backing them. And you're backing it because it's vital for us 
to put America first, to get out of this hole that feckless Joe Biden and his pathetic team and the terrible Democrats in Congress are getting us into. So that's what you got to do. You've got to You've got to stay strong. Talk to not, and don't, not just on social media. Make your phone calls. Send texts. Tell your neighbors. Again, do not be shy. Be strong as you come out and fight for America all across the country. And it's a great day because even uh, Mike Bloomberg today's quarter is saying that he's expecting a Democrat wipeout. We are going to have wins all across the country, all across the country in November. And then as we go into 2024, when President Trump is going to walk back into the White House in that election. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, the red the red wave that they suppressed the last time is just going to be insurmountable this time. Yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. And, you know, I said this 2021 was the year of MAGA. 2022 is the year of MAGA squared. And it's very, very exciting. Nice. Boris, why don't you let our listenership know anywhere they could find you across social medias? No doubt about it. BorisCP.com is the website. Sign up right now. We've got a lot of uh, info coming out. Uh, really, a lot of content. We've, we send out morning emails, send out messages. BorisCP.com, super hot. BorisCP.com is the website. At BorisCP on Getter, at BorisCP on Twitter. The hottest on the grab, Boris underscore Epstein. And now on Truth Social, at Boris. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on your success to the whole team, to Antoinette, to you, to the guys. Thanks so much. God bless you. Stay strong. MAGA. Appreciate it. This is the man who is a former strategic advisor and special assistant to Donald Trump and the man behind Boris EP, Boris Epstein. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. God bless you. All right. Jumping in next with us here. He's a congressional candidate running in New Hampshire, too. He's the owner of Burns Automation, youth chair for President Trump in 2016. He's the former Hillsborough County treasurer. And he's joining us today. Bob Burns, thanks for coming in and uh, sharing some time with us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. It's a little past breakfast, but uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. Well, you can listen to Steak for Breakfast anytime. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> How's everything going with you, sir? Uh, everything's great up here in the Great White North. Uh, it was a balmy, uh, I think, 60 degrees today mm-hmm. in the middle of February, so... Uh, Finally got all that ice melted off of my driveway. Unfortunately, it hasn't been great ski season. Every time I plan to go out skiing, it seems to be raining. Um, so that's that's not fun. But, I mean, I guess it, you, you take the good parts from it. So at least the snow's melted and it's and it's very nice out right now. That's good to hear. Well, let's jump right into it. We want to talk about your uh, candidacy right now. What are some of the uh, contributing factors that led you to run and get in the race for New Hampshire, too? Sure. So obviously, as you know, a little bit about New Hampshire, we have this really unique opportunity to be involved in politics, uh, whether it be presidential or even at state level, because we have so many elected positions here. We have, I think, the third largest legislature in the entire world to uh, 424. So 400 state reps, 24 state senators. Um, So everybody kind of has to run for politics. Eventually, I got involved in politics at an early age. My mom emigrated to this country, and after becoming a United States citizen, she ran for office and became a state rep. And then this allowed me to be also involved in presidential politics. I got to meet people like uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, Jack Kemp, George Bush growing up. And then later on, I ended up uh, having an opportunity to work for Mike Huckabee, Newt Gingrich, and then finally Donald Trump. Nice. Yeah, that's a... Uh... It's quite a resume you've developed there and uh, definitely something I'm sure you're looking to roll into your campaign, which I want to ask next. How's the rollout been and and, and what's it looking like in your district right now support wise? So we're getting a lot of support and particularly, I mean, social media has been awesome to grow the campaign. 
And, you know, living in New Hampshire my entire life and going to high school here and going to college here, um, you know, I know people all across the state. It's, it's, you know, we're not a huge state. We only have two congressional districts. Um, we're waiting on some redistricting. The governor has said that there's not going to be any huge changes. So this should still be a competitive district. It's a D plus one um, right now. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of excitement out there and I guess, excitement might be the wrong word. I mean, obviously there's, there's kind of a lot of anger and angst towards, you know, the current administration, um, our current president, um, supply chain issues, the rising costs of goods. And, you know, this is actually my second run for Congress. And in 2018, I actually ran hugely on supply chain. And in 2018, nobody was talking about supply chain. So, you know, then when the pandemic hit and I started to talk about those same supply chain issues, um, you know, I, I, I kind of came across as like a little bit of a, a Nostradamus or a soothsayer here, like that I saw the future, what was going to happen. Um, and so now it's really been a huge issue that that really is affecting a lot of people and, and people are a lot more interested in what I have to say now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely something that's affecting all, all of the, you know, especially the middle class and blue collar families in, in the wallet and at home. What are, uh, in addition to the economy right now and the supply chain, what are some of the really important issues that, uh, you know, you think you're going to be able to take care of in, in New Hampshire too and address? Well, so just it's when, when I talk about supply chain, I don't just talk about, you know, the rising costs of things. So I work in pharmaceutical manufacturing. Um, really, my business is, is in a lot of different areas, but our, our major um, customers are people who manufacture pharmaceuticals. And, and I saw 20 years ago, the, the company's closing down here and moving over to India and now to China. Um, so really, when I'm talking about this, I'm also talking a lot about China and I'm talking about um, whether it's defense manufacturing, pharmaceutical manufacturing or food safety, that we need to be focusing more on bringing back those necessary products to our national security back to the United States. Um, you know, I, I believe the government that governs least governs best. I'm a free market guy. But also, I understand that sometimes the free market doesn't work when, you know, over half our microchips are being made in Taiwan yep. and, you know, another quarter of them are being made in China and we're barely producing any here in the United States. So if we were ever to get in a skirmish with China, you know, that leaves us extremely vulnerable. And I also understand when I look at food security um, that, you know, whether it's natural disaster, whether it's a pandemic, that we could see things like, particularly in a place like I'm living in New Hampshire, we, when you look at food output, we're some of the lowest in the entire country and our our major agricultural outputs are things like maple syrup and wood. <laughs> you can't really live off of those. So, you know, I understand like these big corporate farms, you know, it's cheaper for them to produce eggs and milk across the country and, you know, a giant, you know, factory farm. But but we need to also be looking towards national security in case we run across these problems in the future right. or, you know, natural disaster or war or what have you. Um, and I think that that is an area where the government, in fact, does need to get involved. Yeah, I, I, I think so as well. We're seeing a lot of that developing today. We'll, we'll, we'll roll right into that and talk about national security and, and, and defense. What's your take on the whole stuff that's going on on the Russian-Ukraine border right now? And how do you think, I mean, I'm pretty sure how you're going to lead into that. But what's your opinion on what, what the government's not doing to uh, ensure the safety of the American citizens by involving ourselves in, in that international skirmish? Well, I, I think the one thing that we do is, you know, I don't, you know, obviously I'm, I don't uh, support bringing boots on the ground or, or us intervening militarily wise, but I think that we should have been doing stuff more as far as sanctions, at least threatening sanctions. 
And I think there's a lot that we can do with sanctions against Russia to put pressure on them. Um, obviously, you know, these rich Russians, you know, they want American cars. They want cars that are made in NATO countries. They want access to that the same way that Germans want their cheap energy from from uh, Russia. Um, obviously, you know, we and other countries like Canada have an ability to produce and get a lot of that cheap energy out there to Europe. And, you know, there's been a lot of regulations and stuff that's 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 prevented us um, from delivering that. Um, you know, and these are things that would help out because, you know, Russia is not, they're not in a really strong position uh, against the United States because we don't really rely on them for a lot. Um, obviously, some of the European countries obviously rely on them for energy, but they don't have to rely on them for energy. Um, that's something that we can take out of the equation and we need to be doing more of that. And unfortunately, we should have been doing that, you know, last week, um, but now we're going to do it, you know, in the future, hopefully. And then the other thing, too, is obviously with, with again, these these Russians over there, they don't want sanctions on them. I mean, Russian companies want to do business in the United States. I mean, we are still one of the richest, most powerful country with 300 million people that can buy their products. Yep. And they don't want to be cut out of this country. And again, they need us more than we need them. Unfortunately, the same isn't true of China. But at least in, in Russia's case, I think that we do have a little bit more leverage um, as far as those sanctions go. No, I completely agree with you there, and, and there's just a lot more things we could be doing economically to, uh, you know, in, ensure the safety of our, especially our troops who are getting, you know, funneled into the region right now. Um, that that would be more beneficial than than just the political rhetoric that's going on inside the Beltway. Bob, I want to touch with you on the uh, the southern border. It's one of the hottest topics of the you know 2022 midterm election season, and everybody's got a different take on it. Every state's a border state now because. If you're not uh, geographically touching the southern border, you're going to have, you know, in the middle of the night flights of refugees dropped into your state at some point. What, what, what do you think's going on down there? And what are some of the things you'd like to see going on to try to correct it? Um, so, number one, we need to build the wall. Uh, a physical barrier definitely works and is a deterrent. The second thing, the, the next thing we need to do is deter these people from coming up here. And I think that one of the things that Americans don't understand is honestly what these people go through to get here and how dangerous it is. Um, I've spent time in Mexico, um, studied abroad down there, and I know that those immigrants who move through Mexico, I mean, they're raped, they're killed, they're robbed. And a lot of that's done by the police in Mexico. I mean, they're treated horribly. And you know, I, I think that it's, you know, obviously we saw these these migrant caravans all of a sudden coming, you know, at the, the end of the election last year. And then even once Biden got in there, they're wearing their Biden Kamala Harris shirts and they thought, oh, we're just going to get into the country. And and it's reckless. It was it was reckless of our president to, you know, imply or for the Democrat Party to imply and debate these people to come up here because they're, in fact, risking their lives. And a lot of it's for nothing. Yeah. Um, and and they need to stop doing it. It's 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 honestly it's cruel. Uh, I think what they're doing to these people, you know, giving them the false hope. Um, you know, obviously some people do get through the border, and you know, I'm sure that they find okay jobs under the table. But for many of these people, it's you know they're they're trafficked, they're they're abused, they're robbed. Um, and you know, we need to bring more light to that. Number one, and just how reckless it is for you know groups and organizations up here in the united states that we know are down in places like guatemala and honduras and police encouraging people to come here um for for you know this sort of political um pageantry that we see yeah it's definitely uh 
something I guess if you really look at the root causes of what's going on on the southern border, a lot of it has to do with the incentives-based stuff that has gone on with the current regime that's in Washington, D.C. In addition to that, it's, it's bringing awareness that it's not just physical bodies and drugs that are coming apart or are coming across the border. There's, there's so many more different components, like you said, the, the murders, the rapes. Um, you know, the uh, slavery aspect that goes into it with serving your time and purpose once you get across and, and how you work that off. It's just a really ugly situation. All the people that are advocating for this, is like they don't seem to understand. It's like encouraging these people to make this dangerous journey where there is all the rape and murder and extortion and stuff involved. It's like there are pathways where they can do this from their location. Yeah. Yeah, they certainly can. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, I, I've worked in South America and I find it unfortunate in some of these countries that people just feel like they need to forgive up and they can't, they, they feel like that they can't change the policies and politics of their home countries. Um, and, and I think that's unfortunate. And when, when the people get a mindset like that, that's when the, the, the countries honestly kind of go to trash. Um, and that's what we've really seen in like in places like Guatemala and Honduras. And, you know, MS-13 is really in control of those countries now. Um, which is, you know, ironically, it's a it's a gang that started in California but then went back to South America mm-hmm. to essentially take over some of these countries, which is really sad. Yeah, it's really incredible to to see how that's going on. We just saw I saw over the weekend there was like four MS-13 gang members who were getting sentenced and most of them were repeat offenders and two of them were undocumented you know, aliens that were legally present in the United States. It's just something that I hope we can get a better disposition on moving forward, especially after the midterm elections. You know, people like you are going to be able to go into the to the House in addition to winning back the Senate and really just put the brakes on the Biden border policy right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, to tell you the truth, I think there needs to be pressure in these countries to do things like legalize of guns. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's absolutely ludicrous. Um uh, you know, in Mexico, you're allowed one gun per household, and there's only one gun store. It's in Mexico City. And, of course, you have to be fairly wealthy and politically connected to even get that license. And then you get the license, and generally your job is your security guard, like in a mall where rich people live. Right. Yeah, it, it's good to uh, to hear you bring up that because that's that's one of the things that a lot of our listenership might not really be in the know of. Bob, we want to be able to direct traffic to support you in your campaign and then uh, do whatever they need to do to make sure you get across the finish line in November. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you across social medias, including your campaign website? So everything I have is Burns for NH. It's, it's uh, B-U-R-N-S-F-O-R-N-H. So .com or Twitter or Facebook, you're going to find me in all those. Once my true social gets up this week, <laughs> yeah. once I can finally get through, that'll be Burns for NH as well. Uh, and then again, my website, it's either FOR or the, or the number four, both will find you there. So burns for NH.com. Perfect. We'll live link them in the show description today. And of course we're going to, uh, invite you back at some point in the near future to get an update on the campaign. Cool. This is the man that's looking to represent New Hampshire two in the 2022 midterm elections. Bob Burns. Thanks for joining us today on steak for breakfast. Thanks for having me. Talk to you guys later. Bye. That was a couple really strong America first candidates. Yeah. Bob Burns and Jules Gray, and it seems like we have an issue uh, after having Boris on with us today. He gave a shout out to the to the MAGA posse, which is what you know they call uh, their listenership on the the mother channel. But uh, what, what do we have? I can tell you what it's not: mm. <laughs> a citizen of the soy globalist regime. Perfect <laughs> insertion. <laughs> Extremely organic. That's what she said. I'm going to have to say right now the uh, apparatus we have set up here <laughs> on Steak for Breakfast. He's still using Humble. Yeah. So that's fine. We love Steve. But uh, I, I guess maybe I'll throw a poll out there. 
this week in the socials mm-hmm. and, and see what we can name our listenership. Yeah. And uh, we'll try to figure that out as uh, I guess we're adjoining members of the MAGA posse, mm-hmm. according to Boris. And we appreciate him taking time out of his busy schedule to come on. Um, well, the America First agenda and all things related are, have been under attack for, for quite some time now, probably since, you know, the start of the last Trump administration and, and up through covid you know, we saw some stuff going on with Canada, which we're not going to touch on too much today uh, because, you know, listen, we all saw it happen in Australia and New Zealand and all across Europe throughout the course of the pandemic. And now we're kind of uh, seeing it happen in our own backyard. It's very sad and uh, not something you'd like to see happen in any context to any kind of people. But um, no, all you have to do is circle back to the summer of love and the mostly peaceful burning down of police stations and looting of big screens and murders. Can I add just one thing? Yeah. Uh, everybody uh, that thought, you know that lady that got trampled by the horse? Yes. She survived. Yeah, she's she didn't die. Right. Yeah. She's yeah. got a little separated shoulder. Let everybody know that. But it wasn't she, a bicycle. That's for goddamn sure. Oh, yeah, no. Um, I actually found her Twitter by accident, and she was, she wrote a message saying, thank you so much, everybody, for the love and support. She's got like 20,000 followers. Nice. I saw her drinking a latte in her ho- in her uh, hospital bed. Oh, yeah, yep. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you didn't think it was coming after what happened here with January 6th, then, you know, you probably have to do a little self-reflection because it, it's already been here. Um, those those people that, that, you know, did whatever happened at the Capitol in the uh, biggest non- Insurrection. In the history of the universe. Um, have had their bank accounts frozen. Some of them, based through uh, court dispositions, are not allowed to participate in social media anymore, including Tinder, which one of the January 6th (laughs) accused found out when he got... Blockers. Yeah, it was... was, He got released and was trying to get back on the prowl, and his Tinder was wiped? Well, he got the social media banned, but then he opened up a Tinder account, and they're like, "Eh, that's almost a probation violation. Let's delete that. (laughs) So... Yeah, and we just have to take into to account all the stuff that's been going on coming out from the uh, our friends over at Davos and the World Economic Forum and the plan that they have for the rest of the world and probably the universe that's been going on for a lot longer than the pandemic and, and, and the Trump presidency. So those are things just to keep in mind. Joe Rogan had uh, Majid Nawaz on his show this week, and, and he was kind of dialed into that whole Klaus Schwab vibe and, and, and broke it down a little bit. Let's hear it. Quote, though, on his, as you see it, our teams are now embedded in governments around the world. That's actually what they wrote. Yes. And the video is two minutes. I didn't play all of it. It's what he says. But what he's saying there sounds reasonable. Figuring out on strategic ways to end the lockdown easily. No, that makes sense. Not the end of lockdown. No, no, no. Well, didn't he say that? Keep in mind, Tony Blair is the one who's been advocating for vaccine passports, digital identification through COVID and all of these measures. But didn't they say that about ending the lockdowns and keeping businesses? Once those measures are in place. Right. So he's even in the UK, his stance has been, yeah, we're going to get out of all it, but you have to have digital ID mm. and you have to have. So, so during then the war, this is going to introduce the, t- the social credit score system. Right. So the, what, all of that came from your question, which is regardless of intention, how do people how do people do that infiltration from within? It's not just Twitter. So back to the psychological operations. It's also embedding people in government who are subscribed to this agenda. Yeah. And the agenda of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum is the same as the agenda of Tony Blair. 
in this regard. They call it on their own website, they call it the Great Reset. Mm. That's what they say themselves. Yeah, that's a bizarre thing to do, to yeah. openly. Why do you think they openly discuss it that way? And openly, because the Great Reset has always been this gigantic conspiracy theory yeah, yeah. among the online folks. Yeah. Like, this is all part of the Great Reset. Well, yeah. when he wrote a fucking book called The Great Reset, you're yeah. like, hey, man, yeah. shouldn't you be hiding this? <laughs> and, and, and in 2017 at Harvard, he's saying, you know, we're going to basically, all of these world leaders will penetrate their cabinets with our young global leaders. He's open. About this. He's open. He's Blair's melting, open. He's melting During the Iraq War, Blair tried to bring in ID cards in Britain. Yep. He failed. Now he's back and he's trying to bring in digital ID during COVID. Right, so they're open about it. So this is going to be this never-ending process to slowly move the goalposts towards more and more authoritarianism, checkpoint society. In his face, <laughs> it's all there. They, you, they how, told us this. We ha people have to realize this, right? This is important. No, they yeah. don't. They well, don't. They don't realize this because they're still fucking running full force into it. And they ran into it last weekend in Canada. Uh, when they thought like, okay, they're mobilizing troops, they're bringing in police, they're they're kind of getting tow trucks, but we have the minions bouncy house and a hot tub, and we're honking, like we're not going into the Capitol, we're not taking shits on Mitch McConnell's desk, we're not doing anything that's violent that we saw in the United States throughout the summer of love, and then oh look, here we are getting stampeded by Clydesdales, and I heard, uh, I heard Trudeau shit in the hot tub, beaten to a pulp. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, that was not so, Joe knows what's going on, you know, but I feel like he's now he has to play it kind of sort of safe, like asking questions and like pretending to like not know what's really happening. And well, yeah, you can definitely lead your lead your interview certain directions by the questions you ask and then it's not yeah. you saying it. Exactly. Well, I mean, he keeps bringing on these experts who are kind of, you know, yeah, leaders in the field and what keeps happening. It's it's it's, you know, you keep seeing the same kind of stuff. So good though, because his audience obviously is very diverse, and this is definitely. I mean, it's great that he keeps having these people on spreading this truth because a lot of people are still not really aware of the fact. You know, it's out there, they're literally saying it's not a conspiracy theory anymore. Yeah, so, I think I think their efforts to uh, ru ruin his credibility and silence him has actually probably gotten him more viewers. Oh yeah, I think so too. Definitely. Well, Bill Maher had another take on, uh, you know, some of the stuff that's going on here over the weekend on his show. We all know that that's uh, Noah's favorite. Uh, he's another one of those guys. It, it outside the Beltway commentators doesn't matter if you don't like him. It's you gotta like what he's saying. We all know. Yeah. He, you know the audience. You know we need his audience to hear this stuff as well. He's like the one person I just post on my my personal social media. So yeah, it's like go. hey, this guy's on your team, so I can. I can post him. Let's hear him weigh in. Tweeting things like cancel rent, cancel mortgage, and no more policing or incarceration. <laughs> Declaring that capitalism is slavery. Oh. Canceling Lincoln and Dr. Seuss. Teaching children they're oppressors and math is racist. Making Mr. Potato Head gender neutral. <laughs> and now an emoji for pregnant men. Real. I'm not making it up. <laughs> California just passed a law requiring large retailers to have a non-gendered toy section. A non-gendered toy section? Isn't Ken enough? <laughs> we need a law for that? 
Do you have to inject yourselves into everything from where you can throw a Frisbee to who can braid hair? This is why so many people, by the way, were triggered by COVID policies. They were already sick of rules. Mm. Yeah. De- decent point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, you can't really, if you just keep it in context of what he's talking about, and, you know, he's been making a really hard stand on uh, how fed up he is with the ruling elite. And uh, the fact that there's probably some places where either he or his friends or family members can't live a normal life when he goes out every weekend and sees these jerk-offs partying in the clubs or going to the Super Bowl and, you know, then saying, like, you know, we're going to expel your kid from school if they don't wear a mask in class and stuff like that. Well, is there a is there an active movement to cancel Bill Maher? Because anybody on the other side that was saying any of this stuff, like making fun of the pregnant guy emoji, oh, you're canceled. Mm, like, I mean, I, are you hearing anything? Uh- I haven't heard anything. It's the first time I heard this clip. When you don't give a shit about what people think, you're uncancelable. Uncancelable, basically. He's not trending like Chuck Todd is, for instance, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. But uh, he did. (laughs) we do have to remember Chuck Todd did troll Tony Blinken with, well, why didn't this stuff happen when Donald Trump was the president? (laughs) I don't know. Why don't you ask him? (laughs) I saw Steve Steve Cortez yesterday. Uh, He was on War Room. And uh, he was talking about some of the key factors that's going to help, uh, you know, strengthen the America First push right now. And one of the key demographics there is Hispanics across the country, especially in the border states, who have abandoned supporting the Democrats over the course of the last couple of years and are moving more and more towards the uh, MAGA movement. Let's hear him uh, kind of weigh in with a little chalk talk. Patriots, as primary season heats up, Hispanics are going to be crucial in the battleground states. Let's look at a couple of them out west, Arizona and Nevada. Now, in Arizona, among Hispanics, Joe Biden, when he took office, had enormously positive approval ratings. The approved-disapproved ratio was 41% his way. That has completely evaporated, and he is now actually underwater by 2%, a 43% swing of approved-disapproved in only over a year. Similar story next door in Nevada. He began office with 38% positive approval ratio among Hispanics. It's all the way down to only plus three, losing 35% among Nevada Hispanic citizens. Why? Well, I think the answers are actually fairly straightforward. Inflation and immigration. We have out of control price surges in the economy. We also have an out of control border. And for those reasons, primarily, Hispanics are rallying to America first. Mm, I like it. We need as many of those uh, Latinos for Trump as we can, especially at the voting booths. And uh, we've seen it with some of the early, you know, last time we had an election, we had some some mayors and and house seats flipped on uh, West Texas that either haven't been occupied by a Republican in over 100 years or in some cases ever. Yeah, how funny would it be if that just completely backfired on them? Like, oh, well, these... Hispanic people, we wanted to come in and vote. Now they're not voting for the team we want them to team to vote for. I was thinking the same thing. I think. I think that. What a boomerang that would be. Yeah, the key factor that is there, especially for the ones who are established and are able to vote, whether they came in through amnesty or went through the immigration process themselves, they're at a point right now to where you just can't. Uh, you know, not taking into consideration, they're watching all this shit happen. And when they hear stuff like people could be flown into New York City, let's just say not even New York City, let's just say upstate Westchester. And then within 14 days, they got work authorization. And within 30 days, they could vote in municipal elections. And they're probably like, what the f-? 
like this shit's going on and I have to like work a second job now to feed my family off of the same amount of food and shit we we bought just a year ago when Donald Trump was the president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of family that have come from Europe to live here and mm-hmm. had to wait in line. You know, they're fucking pissed. They work hard. They pay their taxes. They've never lived off the government. Even my parents, you know, because I'm first generation. It's just it's insane. Like they, they're just like, what the hell? This is not the America we came here to live. You know, well, and the people that are in the immigration pipeline right now that are doing it the mm-hmm. correct way and are waiting, it's like, no, congratulations. Now you're waiting four years Yeah, and, and you're or not, more. You're not going to get work authorization, the right to vote and a $1,300 a month check when you get here right away. Like all the people who are just walking across the border casually right now are mm-hmm. getting. So it's, it's, it's really uh, good to see that that stuff's finally starting to resonate. You know, I remember in years past, even prior to the Trump administration, there would be some political figures that would talk rhetoric like this, but it just never stuck. And, right. and I think they've gone so out of control with stuff that, uh, you know, it's it's really you could see it in black and white on paper. Like he said in Nevada, like Hispanic started at like 38 percent. It was down to three. That's crazy. Mm. So that's, that's crazy. And and Steve Cortez is pretty spot on with the numbers. He's like in the Navarro category of breaking stuff down, um, you know, with the stats and, and, and things of that nature. Hot Wheels was on Tucky last night, my new Instagram buddy, Madison Cawthorn, and, and he was talking about how America First is under attack as we're heading into this midterm season and they're going to try and demonize a lot of races and the overall movement to try and stop it from uh, overwhelmingly cleaning out the House and Senate in November. Let's hear him kind of weigh in and see what he had to say about it. Hearing a lot about democracy under attack. Well, democracy is a system under which you get to vote for whomever you want because it's your country. You're a citizen. Makes sense. The people rule. But Democrats are working and they're effectively working to subvert the most basic element of democracy, which is your right to vote for whomever you want. Madison Cawthorn is a congressman from North Carolina, and he's seeing this up close. Activists are trying to get the state's election board to keep him off the ballot in this fall's election. So you can't vote for him, ending democracy. A group called For the People, because irony is not dead, is trying to do this. They're alleging that, quote, Cawthorn is constitutionally disqualified from public office under the 14th Amendment to the Constitution based on reasonable suspicion that he's helped facilitate the January 6, 2021 insurrection. Wow. In other words, he's like a Confederate general. He's like a foreign adversary. That's what they're arguing. And they may win. So we want to talk to Madison Cawthorn directly tonight to hear where this all stands. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. I can't think of a clearer assault on democracy itself than preventing voters from voting for the candidate of their choice. How close are they to preventing you from running for office? Tucker, they are actually very close. Now, what's going on in North Carolina is that the State Board of Election, a panel of five people, is asserting that they have the ability to bar 740,000-plus Americans in my district from being able to elect me to send me to Washington to be their weapon to fight against the deep state. Uh, Why they're saying that this is a a viable choice in North Carolina is because of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, I'm sure that you were puzzled, as I was, after following January 6th, when they started saying that we are insurrectionists, you're seditionists, you're traitors. Uh, I thought they were just trying to get a flashy headline. 
Exactly. But the reason they were trying to set this basis for fact is because they had a plan to execute a version of lawfare hatched, I'm sure, by Mark Elias, the quarterback for hijacking our election in 2020, yep. uh, to try and actually bar America First candidates from being able to hold office in 2022. Uh, now, is the reason they tried to set the stage because they knew that their geriatric despot Joe Biden was going to be so bad and the midterms were going to be a slashing? I don't know. Uh, but what's going on here is that they are actually very close to being able to subvert the will of over 700,000 Americans. And make no mistake, Tucker, this is not just about a 26-year-old from Western North Carolina in a wheelchair. Uh, this is about the future of our very nation. If they're able to set this precedent in North Carolina, they will be able to keep anybody who had valid and legitimate concerns about what happened in the 2020 election uh, from being able to ever hold office, thus ending the America First movement. It's, I think your analysis is so smart. You're exactly right. That's why they called the rioters insurrectionists. And so many conservative office holders and news organizations have ignored it. They're so embarrassed. They don't see what this is really about, which is ending democracy. And I hope you will keep us surprised of what happened. Mm. Well, no, I know that's probably the first you're hearing of it, but uh, I saw your reaction. You seemed surprised, to say the least. Yeah. You see where Tucker was kind of going with it, though? Mm -hmm. he, he's, he's now figuring out why they were calling these people insurrectionists and not, you know, whatever else they could have called them instead. Well, it, given the fact that nobody's being charged with actual insurrection, it's just a all-encompassing, you know, Uno reverse card for anybody who's against you. And I'm hoping these lawsuits get so bogged down with, like, the key point that you just made, uh, you know. So if, if they're going to keep Madison Cawthorn off the ballot in North Carolina, then... Uh, why isn't he been, yeah, why hasn't he been charged with anything? Exactly. So why doesn't he have those uh, things that the repo man put on the cars on your, the boot on his wheelchair? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all in a panic, clearly. You know, they know they're in big trouble. Yeah, I, I am not an optimist when it comes to the numbers. I'm still like one of those people like till the second the ballot's closed, we need to ridiculously overwhelm everywhere. We're not going to get the results we want. And, I, and we, we kind of talked about it with Boris today. You know, he, he even said, you know, safe with 52, but let's get it up to like 54, 55 Senate seats. I look at some of these races and there are some great candidates in these states. And, and, and we've had most of them on Bobby Python, Eric Greitens, Adam Laxalt, just to name three. So uh, but, you know, they don't go into the generic equation of even though how ridiculously strong and popular they are and how good their their campaigns are going. They're not shoo-ins. They don't fit into that 52 uh, equation 52 is the people that are not going to lose and, and and how we're going to shift the power in the Senate. But we need to get those other candidates really over the hump when we get into past the primaries and into the generals with this midterms right here. Matt Gates jumped on with uh, Lou Dobbs in our last audio clip of the day. I like Lou Dobbs ever since he's gotten away from, you know, the legacy media, he's be showing everybody in his old age, how much more based he was than normal. He's got a, Decent podcast. I listen to it when he has on good guests, but his his rhetoric is very America first, and uh, he's such a strong supporter of Donald Trump and just loved everything he did for this country. When you get somebody on like Gates with him, uh, it makes for a good combination. And, uh, you know, they're talking about the House and Senate races right now, more focused on the House because he's got Gates on the show. Let's hear him weigh in in our last audio clip of the day. 
to get some of our firebrands on the front lines, we would need to dispense with seniority as one of the organizing principles for picking leaders. You know, do you think seniority has served the Republican conference well in, in your observation of its deployment, or, or has it done more harm than good? Well, I think this, uh, the seniority system has done an excellent job in creating seniority uh, for a few. But what we want is for the entire conference to be reelected year after year, uh, serving the needs of the people and setting a vision that can be uh, agreed upon uh, beyond the, the Potomac. I mean, this is a big old country, and we need uh, a Republican Party and leadership in the House uh, that uh, whose vision and whose uh, purpose uh, resonates with the American people. A populist, nationalist uh, America first, make America great party. That party seems to find a lot of unity when we actually stand up and fight for the border and against these immigration policies that have hollowed out. You know, I, I think he makes a good point there, and uh, it's pretty weird. You, you, we set up the stuff for the show, and we, we talk about and, and, you know, get get these clips together of stuff that's gone on over the week. And, and when you look at it, just some of the guests we had on today, you, you talk about people like Jules Gray, who's new into the political spectrum, and she's in a brand-new House seat race. And then you have people like Boris on, who's working really hard, doing all that stuff. He's like one of the biggest outside-the-beltway whips that the MAGA movement has. And he's really optimistic about you know, how awesome it's going to be in the midterm elections, you know, and, and it comes down to the fact that you can't really have an America first movement if it's only going to be sending people to Washington, D.C. It, it has to be such a big, stronger representation of people going outside of their boxes and uh, doing things like, you know, we, we talked about last week with uh, Brainerd and, and Michael John and, and some of the other, you know, political activists we've had on the show and the consultants and the, the analysts who really talk about, how this movement has to be such a bigger thing than just going to the ballot box and sending these people to Washington, D.C. And, and hopefully it won't be because, you know, they're all threatening to uh, not be those candidates and establishment Republicans when they get there and, and stay out of the country clubs and not worry about tax cuts and amnesty uh, for illegals. You know, they're going to do real America first stuff that's going to get uh, the job done that we need to happen in the United States right now. And as we're getting ready to... Uh, talk about some of those things with our last two guests today. We're going to be joined by the New York Republican Club's very own Gavin Wax, who's the president there, and then following him we'll have uh, Mr. Tony Cowden. All right, joining us next today on the show, he's a Republican populist. He's the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club. He's also an insider at Newmax, or Newsmax and an ambassador for Turning Point USA. Mr. Gavin Wax, thanks for joining us today on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here. It's our pleasure. We've been looking forward to this for a while now. How's everything going with you, sir? It's good. You know, living behind enemy lines here in the People's Republic of uh, New York City, it's as good as it gets. Yeah, we've seen, uh, just by following you on social medias and, and going back and forth through email, you've been a very busy individual lately coming with the uh, midterms coming up here. You want to give us an update on everything that's going on at the New York Young Republicans Club? Yeah, look, we just threw a, uh, a great fundraiser for the uh, America First standard bearer, Joe Kent, running out in Washington against uh, an teacher, Jamie Herrera Butler. Mm -hmm. We were happy to raise around a little over $20,000 for him and his uh, and his run. He's Trump endorsed. He's running out there in a jungle primary. 
uh, and the establishment is doing everything they can to try to stop him. So uh, we're pretty involved in the midterms. I think this is going to be a great cycle for uh, the Republican Party at large. I mean, we're looking at, you know, historic seats being flipped, maybe as high as 70. Yeah. But I think, you know, the biggest issue facing us is to make sure that the people uh, taking those seats even if they have an R next to their name, are actually solid ideologically, that they're America first, that they're populist, that they're aligned with the Trump agenda, because uh, the biggest problem we've had as a party and a movement has been from within. Yeah, 100%. You know, we saw it at the beginning of the, at the first Trump presidency and with all the slowing down and gumming up of the gears that the establishment Republicans in, in D.C. did. And then after the midterm elections, it was, you know, they just put it on cruise control. They didn't have to do anything the president wanted because they weren't in control anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could argue the first two years of his presidency were kind of squandered in many ways because yep. of, uh, you know, uh, Ryan and, and, and the Republican leadership just didn't really pass a ton. I mean, they got taxes, I guess. But, uh, you know, they could have been signing bills, you know, until his wrist broke, you know, and until, you know, midnight when they had to change. Uh, you know, uh, change between the Democrats and the Republican control of, of the House. But, you know, they they wasted it. They squandered it. And you see the Dems, on the other hand, you know, even with a very narrow, narrow majority in, in the Senate, they're constantly pushing through stuff. They're constantly forcing Republicans uh, to cave on issue after issue, bill after bill. So uh, they know how to wield power. I just wish our side uh, knew that as well. Well, that's the next thing I want to ask you about. There has been probably this is maybe the first in a generation or maybe even, you know, a lifetime that we have seen uh, the revitalization of the America First movement, the populist nationalist candidate that's coming out, blue collar men and workers, former servicemen and women, people who have had no identity in politics going into these races and not only, you know, starting successfully, but gaining such steam on national levels that they're becoming like almost nightly personalities on some of the cable news shows. It's like, we can't even wait to get these people in, in November. Um, you know, what do you really think in addition to the stuff that happened in the Trump administration, with slowing down the America first agenda was the real, you know, ideas behind this kind of a candidate becoming so popular in the times we're living in right now. Look, I think for the longest period of time, the political dichotomy in this country, the two party establishments have ignored uh, the great middle of this country, you know, the working and middle class, the everyday folk, uh, you know, however you want to put it, they've never had a party that really represented them. The Democrats claim to have been that party, but, you know, we know for decades that that has not been the case. The Republicans up until Trump, you know, were still very much country club elitists. Uh, now they're both the party of the elites, as far as I'm concerned, both yeah. establishments are, uh, you know, one and the same, uh, but that that's why you're seeing this, this renaissance, this resurgence of, of great up and coming talent, political talent, like you just mentioned, uh, because there's a great demand for it because we never had it before. And then that's really thanks to Trump. He really set a new agenda. He set a new course uh, and he created the environment. He shifted the Overton window, really, uh, in order to enable this sort of populist working class uh, you know, political realignment. I mean, we're seeing many former Dems. We're, we're seeing many people that were politically unaffiliated. They're all coming on board. And this is really our path uh, to political dominance, to generational dominance. But we just have to really, you know, grasp it and rise to the occasion, which I haven't seen the Republican Party do. And as a result, the Dems have continued to run circles around us, you know, with this last election, with, with everything they're doing at the state and local level. Uh, so even though there's a lot of things moving in the right direction, we can't rest on our laurels. No, you're 100% correct there. It's, uh, you know, been amazing to see. And, and I was a little reluctant at first, maybe like last year, that this w was going to catch. You know, I, I was hoping that it did as, as good as we thought it was going to do. But now it seems like it's, it might be bigger than, you know, ever before with this whole movement. Um, what are some of the things you've got coming up at the New York Republicans Club that are going to be supporting some of these America First candidates moving forward? 
look, we're, we're talking to some people in Florida about doing a uh, deployment down to the panhandle. You know, we're, we have New York in our name, but we're certainly a national level organization. So oh, yeah. we're going to be sending uh, bodies, getting them on planes, flying them down there, knocking doors, canvassing, uh, you know, boots on the ground sort of thing. Because at the end of the day, you know, as a political organization, you know, one of the biggest things that we can contribute is manpower, you know, and, and you're never going to get that kind of manpower. You're never going to get those kind of people to go out there and, you know, knock on doors, giving up their weekend, giving up uh, hours of their day, unless they're really committed to it vision unless they're really committed ideologically to a cause. And that's why uh, we need to stand firm on our pr- beliefs and principles and, 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 and align our you know, energetic grassroots base with candidates that are worthy of it. So uh, we're going to be doing some stuff from Matt Gates down in Florida. We're going to be doing some stuff for Joe Kent, and we're going to be getting out there across the country, uh, closing in on the primary and closing in on the, on the actual uh, midterms in November and, and getting, you know, boots on the ground. And then here in New York, we're going to continue to keep the fight up. Uh, you know, we have protests planned uh, against the mandates, against uh, all the lunacy that's going on in the city, uh, the elimination of bail, uh, cash bail, excuse me, and, and the rise in crime. Uh, we're going to be standing uh, shoulder to shoulder with fellow New Yorkers of all party affiliations and protesting uh, the nonsense that's happening in, in our country's largest city, because really this is the future of the country unless we start to fight back. You know, we see what the Dems want for the country at large. You know, they want they want record levels of homelessness, drug use, uh, economic destitution, crime, uh, and, and corruption at the highest level of government. That, that's what's happening in New York. That's what's happening in a lot of the, the major cities in this country, and we need to stop it uh, from spreading across the heartland. So we're going to be uh, the van Vanguard, so to speak, and in, in, in letting our voices be heard, uh, protesting, helping a lot of the races here in New York as well. We have a gubernatorial race coming up. We got a lot of local races coming up, and there's there's things to be hopeful for. Uh, we've seen some improvements in, in places in the suburbs in New York, out on Long Island. Even in the outer boroughs, we, we got elected. Uh, we got members of the city council elected in Queens and Brooklyn. So even in a place like New York, uh, you can find victories. Uh, you just have to be able to, you know, get out there, organize, be energetic, and, and keep fighting. Yeah, you can't even say it any better than that. Yeah, it sounds like uh, pretty much the recipe for success everywhere. Yeah, it's just, it's, it takes a lot of work. We had Matt Brainerd on with us uh, last week, and he talked to us about you know the the grassroots boots on the ground campaigns and how the Republican Party, especially you know the really strong conservatives for decades, have just been lacking that. And we've kind of seen a whole bunch of different organizations like you know the New York Young Republicans Club, Look Ahead America with Matt and, and others who are really starting to get people involved and show them like, listen, it takes a little bit more work than you have done in years past and elections in past, but this is the reasons we're not getting the outcomes that we all, you know, are looking forward to with, sometimes we have amazing candidates. They just don't get over the finish line and you have to go back and it's a numbers game. Oh, absolutely. Matt gets this, you know, he's, he's a good friend of mine in the clubs and, you know, there's a lot of people out there that want to be involved. They want to be active. They want to help. And the party apparatus, you know, the party officials, you know, they have no use for them. They, they just want to do their, their backroom deals, their closed deals. They want to push their candidates along, but then you have this grassroots energy uh, that is really results driven. They want to see, you know, they don't want to just see a win. They don't just want to see someone get elected. They want to see that person fight for them and get them results. And that's why uh, a lot of these traders in the Republican uh, caucus, you know, whether it's the impeachment group or whether it's just the people that voted for the infrastructure bill or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, they really backstab the base. And there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration in the base. And uh, that could be channeled yep. uh, to help us win, you know, some some serious elections. But uh, we need to make sure that we have the, the framework to do it in terms of infrastructure. So things like my club are great. What Matt's doing is great. The candidates, other organizations, uh, because we need a way to funnel these people uh, into productive, you know, activism. Uh, and the Dems have, you know, mastered that with their community organizing. You know, Obama was always made fun of for that, but that stuff counts, you know. 
Yeah, if you can organize bodies and you can get them out there. That's how you win elections. That's how you win at the polls. So you, you got to get down, you got to get dirty and you got to be willing to fight, you know, a multi-front war. And that goes beyond just, you know, Twitter or the media side. It also means, you know, on the ground, boots on the ground. That sure does. And, you know, you mentioned Barack Obama and Matt brought it up last week as well. It's one of those things that's in Republican circles that's joked about, you know, talking about his resume before he got into really politics and then shot his way up to the presidency. But, uh, you know, it came to having those strong communities. He brought up Stacey Abrams as well as someone that's just, you know, for years had been running laps around us. And now we're finally starting to pick up some real ground on uh, all the work that the Dems have been doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, people like Abrams and, and Obama, you know, they, they come from the political machines. They come from the political machines of, of Atlanta and Chicago. And these machines, you know, they 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 flipped the election for Biden. Yep. I mean, it was inner city machines that, you know, got out the vote either legitimately or illegitimately. Uh, and they were able to flip this these states and, and they know how that machine operates. They know how to keep, you know, the, the grease flowing to get the cogs moving. And, and it's it's a, it's an intricate thing, you know, and you need community organizing, you need constituent services, you need the churches, uh, you need, you know, the, the sort of, you know, the government, old school government, you know, doling out patronage and welfare and whatever it is. I mean, that that's the nature of the American inner city. It goes back to Tammany Hall and uh, Republicans have just have not wised up to it. And you could take a Republican state like Georgia. And if you have a concentration of population in one city like Atlanta, uh, that makes a difference. And you notice the states that ended up flipping from Trump to Biden, many of them were states that had one concentration of population in one major city, yep. Georgia, uh, you look at a place like uh, Michigan, you look at a place like Pennsylvania with Philadelphia, Michigan with Detroit, et cetera. These are states that should have flipped for Republican because of the machines in these key cities. They did, you know, go for Biden. But then you look at a place like North Carolina, North Carolina doesn't really have one city that sort of dominates above the rest. And that that state actually stayed with Trump because they didn't have one city that really had that kind of machine uh, to churn out the votes that they needed. So it's interesting. And if, if Republicans pay attention to this sort of thing, it'll it'll put us in a better position to fight back against it when next time comes around. Yeah, it sure will. I think it's a lot of those points you made are some of the most important ones as well, especially you keep talking about candidates. We've had some of the great ones from New York on that really the America first uh, versions. Uh, Andrew McCarthy and Desi Quayler have been on our show multiple times, and we really support their campaigns and all the things they're trying to do out there in uh, New York and, and get that state back on the right track again, too. Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of hope for New York. I mentioned earlier, you know, in this past election, past November, uh, you know, we saw all the suburbs out on Long Island flip red. We, we, we flipped everything in Nassau, Suffolk County. They had victories at the back of the ballot at all the statewide referendas uh, where the Dems were trying to uh, codify uh, a lot of these um mail-in ballots and other and other measures that were really going to weaken uh, election integrity, all those failed. So there was a lot of success that Republicans had um, around the around the city, around the state. In this in the city itself, we have the largest delegation on the city council in many decades. It's obviously still a very small minority, but these are wins on the margin. And that's what politics is all about, wins on the margin. So you look at now the governor's race, yeah. um, you know, I think Hochul is a, is, is a paper tiger. She's no Cuomo. She doesn't have the political gravitas of Cuomo. Yep. She's not feared like Cuomo. She doesn't have an Italian last name like Cuomo. And that stuff makes a difference in a very ethnic state like New York. So yeah. I think, you know, we have a few good governor candidates. And if we can, you know, flip 30% of the vote in New York City and hold everywhere else across the state, upstate, Long Island, you know, maybe we'll have some wins uh, statewide. Maybe we'll have some wins in the state Senate. And, you know, we can make a difference even in a place like New York. Anything's possible. Yeah, I think it is, especially with the uh, how important these midterm elections coming up this year are. 
Gavin, we want to be able to direct as much traffic as we can to help support you guys. You know, you're doing amazing work. We've had Fish on, and now we've had you on. And, you know, we'd love to get you guys both back as we're getting closer to the midterms and and talk about all the stuff that's going on and maybe redirect our focus on some of the races where we have to send some energy. But where can everybody find you uh, across social medias and, and getting them involved with the club and stuff like that? Well, I appreciate you guys having me on again and giving the club uh, much love. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, on Getter, on Instagram, Facebook, at Gavin Wax, uh, G-A-V-I-N-W-A-X. You can follow the club, the New York Young Republican Club. We're the oldest and largest in the country, at N-Y-Y-R-C, www.nyyrc.com. Uh, we'd love to have you join if you're in the metro area, New Jersey, Connecticut, PA, New York, whatever it is. And I'm um, looking forward to being back, guys, whenever you need me. This is a the president of the New York Young's Republicans Club, and he's doing a lot more work than that out there, helping the America First movement. Gavin Wax, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Take care, sir. All right. Joining us last today on Steak for Breakfast, big show we've got going on right now. He is the principal conservative leader, former Army Special Forces veteran and small business owner looking to represent North Carolina four in the upcoming 2022 midterm elections. Mr. Tony Cowden, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Heck yeah, I appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you today? And everything's great with me. I'm uh, I'm actually out in California. Um, I don't get out this way very often. Uh, I came out yesterday, uh, got to sit with, with Jocko for his podcast, nice. and then north of LA to just hang out with some some friends I've met via social media and, and get a few minutes on the range. Um, the, campaign, <laughs> the campaign doesn't allow me to uh, a lot of free time these days. So I uh, figured while I was out here, I might as well enjoy myself yeah, for you... at least a few minutes. <laughs> so are you traveling light or did you, did you bring the big guns? No, just a pistol, just yeah. a pistol. Yeah. You can't bring, you can't bring ARs and all that stuff to California, man. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I don't even own any. No, me yeah. either. Yeah. yeah. We, we certainly yeah. do. <laughs> <You> guys... <laughs> I've got a few. <laughs> So no, oh, oh, that tragic boating accident that I had. I know. Yeah. Thanks for all to, of our uh, ATF listeners today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tony. So you know you you've been working around you know the Patriot movement for a long time. You you've got a, an amazing business. You you do a lot of uh, gun advocacy to say the least. And uh, something changed. Something motivated you to to say you want to know what I, I could probably do a little bit more. And then you, you announced your candidacy for North Carolina four. What was your motivation to get in this race? Man, you know, before the whole pandemic, if you had asked me, let, let's say we go back two years ago, right. To February, two years ago, just before the pandemic and all the lockdowns happened. If you'd asked me, where would we, if we'd be where we are today with the whole climate, the, the government overreach, the, the advances the government has taken with its overreach in the last two years, how long that would have taken? If you'd asked me that two years ago, I'd have said 20 years. It, it just, as I watched things progress, you know, I remember the beginning of the pandemic, right? It was like, everybody was a little nervous, right? We all were washing our hands. It's like, okay, this mask thing, all right, it's kind of dumb. We know it's not legit but okay i'll play along this thing might kill us all right we were all a little concerned but it took about a month for us to figure out like okay all right you know reasonable people within what two to three months were like wait a second so yeah man as this thing just kept getting further and further out of hand you know i had an initial conversation with a friend of mine a guy named Elario pontana and Elario ran for congress 
district seven in North Carolina back in 2010 and 2012. And sadly he didn't, he didn't make it. He did. He'd have made an amazing representative, super smart guy, former Marine Corps dude. If you look up his name, he has an awesome story. But anyway, we were sitting and chatting and I, I went to ask him a question about his run and he just happened to be at my house visiting. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. Uh, his son had worked for me during this time and stuff. So we're in close contact. Long story short, we're sitting back on the range, sitting on the tailgate in my truck. I'm like, hey, man, totally different topic. But I'm thinking about maybe, and he interrupted me and jumps off the tailgate. He's like, yes, absolutely. 2022, if you're ever going to freaking win, it's got to be now. Like he knew what I was about to ask. Nice. And so that was day one. That was, he was the first person I talked to. I was like, okay, all right. So now what? If, if first of all, I got to do a, vi- a viability assessment, right? Like, it, does it even make sense, right? Elario says so, but you know, now we got to sit and talk, talk to a consultant that he recommended, and we realized, okay, this this is a viable thing, right? Like, I, I don't want to get involved in something that's a waste of anyone's time or money, right? And uh, fast forward, so that was uh, that was actually Easter Day last year. Fast forward to July 4th weekend. Um, we were, it was memorial for my, my father. My father passed last summer and my sister was visiting. My niece was at the house and I'm lucky, man. I, ha- I have a pretty amazing place, rural North Carolina, a couple ponds, some donkeys, some chickens, yeah. a nice, chill, quiet little place. And I was watching my niece ride around on the four wheeler. She's a city kid. Uh, she lives up in uh, Boston, you know, grew up in the city. I was watching my niece just enjoy herself, be outside, play with the dogs, ride the four-wheeler. And that's when I was like, you know what? If we don't do something, she and her kids are never going to have the America that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And that was the day that I was like, all right, let's do this. And we really started ramping it up then. So it was just kind of coincidental that it just also happened to be July the 4th weekend, right? So there's a little, (laughs) a little uh, symbolism there. But, um, yeah, man, that was the turning point. And, and here's the reality, right? Like there are a lot of really good people out there that could run for Congress that have the same mindset, same spine. Cause that's what we really need yep. up on Capitol Hill that I do. But there's, there's two things right now that are setting me apart from the average good person, the good American that no doubt could do a good job running our country. Melissa and I don't have kids. I don't have ballet recitals or soccer games on the weekends that I need to be at. So my running is going to allow some other father or mother to spend time with their family. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Um, The other thing that sets me apart, right? Here's something that our nation has never seen before. There are eight other Green Berets, seven Navy SEALs, and over 20 Global War on Terrorism veterans yep. running 2022. And why Why does that matter if we're scattered all over the country? Oh, it matters. Well, <laughs> oh, right? You mean to tell me Nancy Pelosi doesn't affect every other district in this country? Mm-hmm. Of course. You know, representatives are now state. But anyway, when a freshman congressperson, right, if you look at any any campaign, for any office across our country, right? They're going to save the planet. They're going to save the world. They're going to save America. They're a fighter. They're the most conservative, right? 
we're all saying the same thing. But here's a reality about freshmen, congressmen, and women, representatives. When they get to Capitol Hill, they're nobodies. They have no friends. They have no influence. They're not changing the world in their first term, right? It's not happening. That's just a reality. And uh, I probably upset some uh, candidates by speaking this, this frankly about what really, you know, the reality of it all. But here's the deal, man. Let's say half the Green Beret, SEALs, Global War on Terrorism veterans get elected, 15 or so. Let's just say it's 15. So with the day we swear in next year, we're not one. We're 15, and that's influence, mm-hmm. right? That's a group of people that could easily be called a caucus. Yeah. And caucuses are important, right? So, so all of that is a huge deal. I mean, it's, it's unique and I'm so stoked to be part of it. I, man, I just can't wait for the day that, you know, all these troopers are standing there and the rest of the incumbents and the other already sitting representatives are standing there looking at us going, Hmm, what are we going to do with this crew? (laughs) You know, I think that's really healthy for us to get people who have like real world experience and, you know, maybe get rid of some of these bloated bureaucrats that are just sitting there collecting a paycheck. Yeah. Not just collecting a paycheck, just not doing anything not or doing worse anything. and some of doing things to actively destroy our country. Um, now I will say this, man, freaking, um, you know, you guys said the district four. So North Carolina is going through, a redistricting process. So mm. the new four that I was running in no longer exists. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> the yeah, the Democrats filed a lawsuit saying they, it was gerrymandering. Right. And it went to our Supreme And our Supreme Court is heavy still on the left. One of the most important races in North Carolina is the Supreme Court judge seats. Because mm-hmm. uh, if we can get rid of a couple of those activist leftists that's on that court, well, then we can deal with our very left governor um, and, and override his veto power. But until that happens, right? So that district four was tossed out. Now they produce some new maps. So I'm now in the new, new 13. Oh, a little bit. However, of right. And the numbers don't even matter. They just, I don't even know how they come up with the numbers. Um, so, now it has to go to court again. The court's probably going to throw out the current districts, the new 1313 or new 13th district, the new new 13. It's so funny, man. Like it's, it's silly, honestly, because it's such a political game that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a delay tactic. The Democrats know that the longer they drag this out, yep. the closer it gets to the general, the more money the Republican primary candidates are going to spend trying to win a primary that's being drug out for months. So when it does go to the general election, now we go up against Democrat that hasn't spent a dime, but also it creates voter apathy as in, let's say somebody was really fired up and interested in politics in these races in January. Well, here we are almost to March with a bunch of court cases. That's hard to follow. It's not interesting. It's pretty boring stuff. Really? And maybe now that voter doesn't care anymore. They don't care about contributing to a campaign. Maybe they don't even vote in the primary. Mm. That's how the Democrats are beating us. 
Yeah, it's definitely you know? part of that ground game. We've heard so many people come on our show, a lot of these influencers who are out there, you know, on the ground, like the Matt Brainerds of the world, talk about it's uh, it's always playing catch-up with the Dems in regards to the ground game, and then you talk about some of these court things. It just sometimes the yeah. Supreme Court of your state Senate, uh, you know, has a lot of influence over what isn't really the will or the, the vibe of the people in your state. I really don't think that not it's not, a, no, it's not a blue or a purple state by any means. Uh, but they'll make you uh, think it is by redistricting and then prolonging the campaigns, getting off the ground by not giving them an official district. So as of today, it's 13, but subject to change, huh? <laughs> Most likely to change. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, you know, the force, I really like the force. Um, because it included Cumberland County, Fort Bragg, mm-hmm. and clearly being the representative of Fort Bragg and the soldiers there, that's 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 personal for me. That's important to me. Yeah. So I, if I have my way, if I had my way, um, whenever they come out with the new 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 districts, <laughs> <laughs> so silly. Uh, hopefully, they will re- redraw. Cumberland into that that district. Um, right now, it's not bad. There's uh, an incumbent, so District Seven took Cumberland County, and the incumbent David Rouser is a pretty good dude. He's he's um, his focus is agriculture. It's rumored he's probably going to take over the agriculture committee. Okay. Um, and his district goes all the way from New Hanover County on the coast, Wilmington and Riceville Beach. And now this new seventh that he's got, and it goes all the way down and around and picks up Cumberland. And here's the reality is that that's a lot for one representative to take, to handle all this agriculture and a committee and also represent Fort Bragg. Right. So I'm hoping that, uh, that they'll, they'll cut Cumberland loose from, from David and, I'll wind up back in that district if I had my way. Of course, no one's really asking me. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Well. But it's a mess, man, and it's frustrating. Yeah. And and I'm sure you'd like to just get out there and start, you know, getting with your potential constituents uh, and knowing who they're going to be on Election Day. Um, I I also thought it was awesome that you mentioned a lot of that, you know, like the – former operator community that could form a caucus. We've had, you know, Derek Anderson, Eric Greitens, and of course, Joe Kent's been on the show several times. He's one of the great friends of steak for breakfast um, to see all you guys kind of huddling on, uh, you know, social medias and, and, and getting together and looking to make things happen when you guys get up in the beltway. Uh, Tony, I want to talk to you about, you know, some national defense stuff. Obviously it's the topic that's been dominating the headlines for the last couple of weeks. It's, it's what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, we saw some statements from, you know, who's ever occupying the Oval Office right now earlier in the day, but uh, what's your take on the whole situation and wh- where do you think this is going right now? You know, if we were trying to assess this situation, based off of historical precedents and actions, uh, we could make an assumption or even an assertion that this president is going to do everything he can do to keep us out of a war. However, comma, (laughs) this president can't read words off a teleprompter, right? It's scary to think because I've watched 20 years of war of American servicemen and women being, you know, a, a, a very used up commodity, 
a used commodity, right? Um, the thought of us going to war in the Ukraine, even if we were only to fight separatists in the Ukraine and not actual hardline Russian troops, right? And that's war. That is such a different war, and I don't know that we're prepared for it. You know, good old American boys and girls, enlisted boys and girls, they're going to get the job done, right? They're fighters. They can shoot. They're smart. But we don't have any combat experience left in our military right now. Everyone got out. We got tired of being used for wars that we knew, became very aware were not even legal wars anyway, that we were getting nothing out of. Only the military industrial complex was getting rich. Right. Like we never even pumped any oil out of Iraq. What was the point? Right. What was the point? So the Ukraine, the, the situation we're in right now is scary. Uh, Especially since I feel like this administration almost needs distractions from its failure after failure after failure. And what scares me is it's almost like they're okay distracting us from their last failure with another failure. And that to me is what really makes me apprehensive. Now here's the reality, right? We've got our own problems. I've said time and time again, talking to folks that, you know, let me, let me, I'm not a, I'm not an idealist, right? I'm a realist, but I'm gonna throw a what if out there. What if in the last 50 years, we had been focusing on our Southern neighbors instead of the middle East and Europe. What if we had been focusing on the Western Hemisphere, like the Monroe Doctrine? And what if we had stopped Venezuela from collapsing into communism and then total collapse? What if, you know, we actually helped Colombia stop the production of cocaine and we had a Mexican government that was not so infiltrated by the cartels because we helped them, Mm -hmm. right? And instead of shipping all this manufacturing to China, right, let's face it, most of the stuff that we consume that is made in China, it's things that are never going to be made in America again. Yep. But what if they were made just south of us with our neighbors that we had, what if, turned them into great allies, thriving nations, instead of third world and fourth world countries right south of our border. Mm. So, hey, man, moving forward. We've got to come up with better foreign policy that makes this Western hemisphere the hemisphere. Yeah. I would like to see things manufactured in Mexico or Costa Rica or any of our Southern neighbors. Let's take it from China. Right. But of course that's going to require us making sure our government officials aren't profiting from things moving to China. Right. we got a lot of problems, man. And it ain't the Ukraine. No, you it's, know? it's certainly and I'm all, it's not. We're backing up our allies. I, you know, that, there's a reason we have allies, right? You, that's a good thing. You don't want to be the lone nation that's isolated all to itself. That didn't work after World War I. It's not going to work today. We have to be involved in the world, right? We are a super, the superpower. But let's face it. The Ukraine is a European neighbor. They've had years to prepare for this, right? We've known Putin wants South and Eastern Ukraine. The Ukraine should have been preparing for this. Europe should have been preparing for this. And now all of a sudden, it's up to us, America, to bail them out? Yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, what are, uh, we, what are we paying NATO all that money for if they're not going to do anything either? <laughs> yeah, how, how come the neighborhood, neighborhood watch isn't isn't taking right. this one? Mm. You know, it, you, you see the headlines, right? Like, how many ever javelin missiles right. sent to you? Well, at three quarter of a million dollars a pop or whatever they cost, don't quote me on that, right? Freaking, you send two of them, two hundred of them over there at almost a million dollars a pop, man. Who, who's wait? The Ukraine didn't pay us for them; we shipped them to them. So the companies that are involved in the design, develop, manufacture of javelin missiles, those folks are making money, and taxpayers are paying for it. Yep, it's not brains going to pay us back for them. You know what I mean? It, it just looks to me like another ploy for the military-industrial complex, who hasn't had an external source of revenue in the last four or five years. Really, now all of a sudden. Here's an opportunity for them to make money again. Woo. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Uh, enough of our military industrial complex being a, a for sale business for around the world. Yeah. You know what? Our allies should be able to buy stuff from us, but enough of us giving it to them. Yeah. That's a, an excellent point you make there. And it sounds like, you know, you really dialed into the, to the issues right now that are not only affecting North Carolina, but the United States and Abroad, Tony, you know, we talk about geopolitics and national defense, jobs in the economy, and then, of course, huge defender of the 2A. We want to be able to direct all of our listenership to go out and, well, whatever district you wind up representing, supporting your campaign and uh, getting out there and helping you out on social medias and, and, and so forth. Why don't you let everybody know where they could find your uh, website and then your socials? Yeah, the website is pretty simple. It's TonyCowden.com. That's uh, C-O-W-D-E-N, TonyCowden.com. Um, one cool little, little caveat there. I'm not a something for nothing type of guy, right? Like clearly con contributing to my campaign. That's an investment in America, right? Yeah. It's you're not me money. I can't spend it on anything except for campaign stuff. Right. And, and I'm trying to do as a tertiary goal is also educate people in this whole process as I learn it. So I like putting that out there that, Hey, when you contribute to my campaign, there are very strict rules, right? We can only spend it on very campaign direct stuff. So again, I'm not a something for nothing type of guy. If you go to my website right now and click on dirt bike prize, you can donate my campaign and get a chance to win a 2021 KX 450 motocross race bike. Very nice. The $10,000 $10, dirt bike, <laughs> right? Nice. Helmet, boots, riding gear, all that stuff. We got some guns coming up an AR precision rifle. That stuff's coming for raffles, so if you're not, for some reason, interested in winning a dirt bike, we got some other stuff coming. Sounds great. Um, but at uh, TonyCowden.com, and then uh, Tony Cowden on Facebook, I have two. I have my personal, and I have the campaign page. Follow them both. And then Instagram is Tony underscore Cowden underscore 4NC. Well, I link them all in our show description today, and I think <laughs> – at the very least, we're very glad that you came in and uh, educated our listenership. This is the man who's looking to represent now North Carolina 13, maybe in the <laughs> 2022 midterm elections. Tony Cowan, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Anytime. Thank you so much. Our pleasure, sir. We'll be in touch. It was a solid, solid episode of Steak for Breakfast right there. What do you think? That was uh, pretty solid. Sure. Lots was. of edits. <laughs> Stop it. We get to that later in our outro. And what we always get to first is the places that you could follow Steak for Breakfast podcast. 
You can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds of the day go to, of course, all of our awesome guests, a lot of America First candidates and influencers on with us today. Uh, Tony Cowden, Boris Epstein, Jules Gray, Gavin Wax, and Bob Burns. Epstein. Epstein. Yes. He's not going to be listening to the outro. Uh, in addition to our internet friends, Cagbro88, Patriotic Baby Counts, Mr. Garbaggio, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, John Backman of Newsmax, Christina Bob of OEN, and of course, Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of The National File. Friends, don't forget to follow all of our uh, partners in Steak for Breakfast, as uh, by you supporting them, it only makes small American businesses great again. My pillow, the best night's sleep you'll ever have, the biggest sales of all time, Mike Lindell. I don't need to say anything else than that, except enter promo code steak at checkout for big, big savings. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website, and you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. Odyssey, the top tier of ear gear that I now approve. Awesome in-studio recording equipment. Can be found at odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready gear holsters. Melted plastic done right. Doesn't matter what you want it shaped into. We'll figure it out. You put on a personalized picture, and it'll be amazing. They've got a new store, and they're pumping out orders faster than ever before. You can find them on stayreadygear.com and uh, on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. We never do on steak for breakfast. I actually man rubbed a pork butt this morning. Nice. It's in the slow cooker right now. So I did, in fact, buy it, shake it. Sprinkle it, rub it, threw it in the slow cooker, and tonight, me and my entire family will go num num num. West Coast Survival Arms, go talk to Mike. You want firearms, you want ammo, Mike's got them all. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the newly redesigned, easy-to-use website, and you can call them on the telephone, 619-870-6992, or hit them up on Facebook Messenger. Mediocre Medic, for all our first responders, we love them. They're working hard, and they're wearing Mediocre Medic gear and apparel. MediocreMedic.com is the website. Pretty fire IG as well. And last but certainly not least, Dumpbox. Home of the Zero Fucks Duck. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They're on Dumpbox.us. Friends of the Week? Eh, some of the originals. You know what? I'm just going to say uh, our Friends of the Week is the podcast crew because this was a long one today. And then we'll be seeing our new friends next week on True Social. There you uh, go. How's that? Lovely. And then thanks to remember, uh, do your own research. A lot of it went into this show today. It's uh, pretty awesome preparing for five guests and two new segments, but that's no problem because number two is start a podcast. And uh, super easy, Noah. Oh, scissor me timbers. I was hoping we got a fully in the show today. Noah's got <laughs> a legal pad from top to bottom with numbers, squiggles, and edits. That Scribbles. Go in, yeah, that go into everything that makes this show steak again. And uh, It's like whenever we're doing the thing and then... You tell me what we're doing, and then I go. What a stupid song. Sorry. <laughs> and then I and then I send you the order of of uh, the show, and then it's it's wrong, and I say, oh, don't look at that one. Um, and then most importantly, let's see what happens. But before we cut with you guys, I do want to talk about some upcoming shows that we have. Uh, we're gonna be back on Friday, and we're gonna have Michelle Fiore, self-proclaimed. Girl Trump, who's running for governor in Nevada, in addition to Jackson Lehmeyer, who's running for a Senate seat in Oklahoma. We'll be back on the 1st of March 
we got a big one. America First Roundtable. Robbie Starbuck, Mike Collins, probably probably heard of those guys. Yeah. They're pretty big in the America First movement. We'll be sitting down with them, and we're going to have a great discussion. On the 4th of March, we're going to have Mark Ivano, who's the president of Republicans for National Renewal, and we're going to be talking midterm elections with him. Uh, Jim Lehman, who's running in the Arizona Senate, he had that Super Bowl commercial, the cowboy-themed one. J.R. Majewski running in Ohio 9. We'll be starting off that show with Cash Patel, so it's going to be pretty amazing as well. Nice. Yeah, on the 8th of March, Carolina Serrano. She's running in Nevada 4. She's one of those fire breathers. Uh, War Room endorsed. Reached out to her, and she jumped right on the opportunity to come on Steak for Breakfast. In addition to her, we're going to have Courtney Turner, who's a America First podcast host, and then we'll be sitting down with constitutional lawyer Amir Bento. We've got a lot of stuff talking. You know, we could even ask him about that crap that's going on with Madison, Madison Cawthorn and uh, the constitutional legitimacy of it. On the 11th of March, Eli Crane, running in Arizona 2, will help make an Arizona First segment with Kelly Townsend, who's running for the Senate. Christina Ball will be joining us to do the news, and we'll have our first sitting House Representative, Beth Van Dyne, representing Texas 24 on Steak for Breakfast that day. Moving forward, we got a couple open dates, but on the 18th of March, Josh Lacash, who's the host of Wrong Opinion, is going to come do the news with us, and we're going to have an amazing time with him. So between now and then, friends, let's see what happens. This has been episode 110 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back on Friday with Michelle Fiore and Jackson Lemeyer. On behalf of the podcast team and everyone that's uh, joining us today as guests, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Have fun editing. Antoinette? Bye, guys. See you Friday. Great job. Thanks for listening, everybody, and take care. How many guns need to be seized? How much vitriol do we have to see of Hong Kong, which is an acronym for Hail Hitler, do we need to see by these protesters on social media? So remember, kids, dressing up like Hitler in school isn't cool.